0: I wish I had a pilot and a podcast I wish I had a strong donkey that can holla ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars, scans. I wish I had a million dollars I wish I had a million albums I wish I had a million problems, that way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes I wish I found a genie lamp I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man, yeah, I wish I was a comedian, late night sitcom syndicated on TV land I wish this well had water in These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish. And every time we love and it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels like this wish I had a time machine, wish I had a better rhyming scheme. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from a lime I wish that I could spread my wings, no. I wish that I had seven limbs yeah. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things I wish I spoke fluent Spanish, dímelo, dímelo, at least I kinda understand it Wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit And get so large I could play pool with the planets Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut I wish I knew more classic rock <laughs> Focused on myself can help me wish But I would rather wish for help It's like, it's like I wish, I wish That every time we love and it feels just like this I wish, I wish That every time we do it it feels just like this I wish, I wish That every time we move in, it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish, Hey
1: cats and kittens, welcome back to another episode of The Debrief. Welcome, if you were joining from the uh, feed for the YouTube live stream that we did real quick an hour before this, let me know how you feel about that format and if that's something I should keep trying to do. Uh We are going to continue the conversation, but of course, you know how it happens on Colin. Things are a lot more freewheeling and open, so feel free to speak your truth and ask what you want to ask, because there's no cameras here, and that facilitates a certain level of freedom. We are talking about the latest episode of Bad Faith, the interview with Amy Vieja, who uh, is running in Nevada's first congressional district this is her second run she has a really compelling personal story as to why she's so committed to medicare for all as a policy and to getting into congress but i put to her the questions that so many folks here on the left who are frustrated with electoralism have been asking i want to know what you think about her answers the broader state of the race and anything else that's been happening on the internet i saw a lot of new folks in the queue when we were talking on YouTube, which made me very, very happy. Um, I don't know if that's because we're on YouTube, but that's kind of my hope that starting to, you know, starting some episodes over there and pulling it over here will help hit people to the conversations that are happening on Colin, which I think are so great. I'm going to play you a short bit of the most recent episode, and then we will get off to the races. Here we go. Oh, you want to force people to reckon with this and force elected to would give lip service to this stuff and, you know, on paper support the Medicare for All bill. You want to, you know, force them into a more active position. You know, does that mean something like, you know, the force of vote moment where you'd say potentially withhold your vote for Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker of the House, if that were to come up or something similar to what were to come up? or withhold your vote for some other piece of meaningful must-pass legislation, the way that some people were advocating that squad members withhold their vote for the COVID relief bill until $15 minimum wage was included in the bill? Is that the kind of strategy that you think you'd be comfortable with as an elected? Because I think absent those sorts of opportunities, it's been a struggle, I think, for other very well-intentioned electeds like Cori Bush to really make their policy preferences known or do anything about them, despite feeling very passionately about them and being very committed to them.
2: Right. Well, you know, when we talk about that, you know, there needs to be, first of all, the more that we get in, the more power you have. And I'm not saying that's the only answer. That's that's one of the steps. The other step is also we need to start being better at strategizing. Um, mm-hmm. we're going, if you're wanting to do something like force I think there needs to be a lot of strategy and talking behind it. And I think the quickness of that decision uh, was, you know, pretty hard to like strategize through. Um, but I am definitely holding the line. I bring this up a lot. You know, um, I'm running against a complacent, status quo corporate politician who just shows up to vote um, and is not out there fighting. And I, when I talk about fighting, I'm talking about on the line. Republicans are very good at it. They'll come in and make up demands. They won't pass stuff. They just, they, they will get what they want. They're very good at it. Um, and I was very pleased to see with the Build Back Better that the, the progressives as a whole actually held the line. We need to do more of that. Like, we're not going to give you this infrastructure bill that we know you want unless we get X, Y, and Z. We may not be able to get everything in X, Y, and Z that we wanted in the Build Back Better bill. But at least we could have gotten something if Democrats as a whole. And the progressives, um, you know, as a whole, uh, would have know, held their, their place, we could have forced a vote on it. That means we need to have more of that. So I'm definitely in that mindset that, listen, I'm not going to Congress just to sign on to any old bill. I'm not selling out my soul uh, just to appease everyone. I'm going there because I knew I made a promise that I would make a difference. That is a sacred promise to me. And I will go there to fight. This is not to me. This is not about seniority. I mean, if I was about, you know, prestige and stuff, I could just stay the CFL. This to me has been about a fight uh, to make sure that we're going to get the uh, legislation we need. That, that is that is difficult. I mean, I know it's difficult and I'm not in Congress now. So, I, I'm you know, it, it's easier, I guess, to say from this side. But um, for me, this is very, very personal. And I know that's what I'd like to join and and help solidify and push you know our members to to actually stand united and start drawing our own lines. So Senator Turner has said after her loss that
1: progressive allies of hers that had endorsed her in her last race were threatened to not endorse her this time around. There's no specifics about what the threat was or who specifically she was talking about. But we know, for instance, that Cory Bush endorsed her last time. I saw Cory Bush at an event featuring Nina Turner and several other Black female candidates, offering her support. You know, helping, you know, encouraging the crowd to support the candidates. She was the only elected who showed up, and I remember appreciating that moment. And then I was confused when a few weeks later, the Progressive Caucus endorsed Chantelle Brown, and we all know how that story went. Additionally, progress- progressives see things like that happening. They they, they see someone like Cory Bush, who obviously has a great deal of affection for and a commitment to the ideals that Nina Turner was running for, ultimately declined to speak out in that moment and talk and, and endorse her despite the congressional, congressional Progressive caucuses' endorsement of her opponent. We see what happened with every progressive lining up and voting for this $40 billion in funding to Ukraine, with the only people objecting and calling attention to the fact that America always has money for war, but not for the poor, are these right-wing Republicans who I have no interest in giving any credit or applauding, but at the end of the day are outflanking our best progressives in the House on issues relating to anti-interventionism. And, you know, you see the kind of pattern emerging among progressives where when they're tough votes where they actually need progressives to pass legislation, like Iron Dome funding, there seems to be a kind of rotating villain of the left that's happening where, okay, this three takes the hit this time and does a bad vote, and then another three takes the hit next time and does a bad vote. And at the end of the day, from the outside at least, and I would love to talk to any of those progressives that they're willing to come on the show and explain these votes and these behaviors, from the outside, it really undermines the confidence of the voter, of the progressive voter. Because it feels like at the end of the day, even though maybe seventy five percent of your votes are good or ninety percent of your votes are good, they will always figure out the establishment always figures out how to squeeze just enough blood from the stone to get what they want. And ultimately, they'll get Chantel Brown in office. They'll get their iron down funding. They'll get their $40 billion for Ukraine, which is more money than Russia's entire military budget. And the, you know, hyper-capitalist, militarist world where we have 500,000 homeless people, 68,000 people die of uh, lack of health care every year, and stories like yours are created every day, keeps on trucking. And so what I'm pressing you on is not at all about your commitment. It's this fundamental question that people are pondering, which is, is commitment enough when we've now seen over the last four years a demonstration of how good the establishment is at undermining even those people that have the best values and the deepest personal commitments to their ideals.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, uh, again, I can, I can understand the frustration. Um, and, you know, when it comes down to electoral politics, you know, we're talking about, you know, a very small handful of people versus how many people are, you know, in Congress. And to me, it's, it's not either or, it's got to be both. We have to, incre- like, I go back to this again, we have to increase the power of the people that are, that are there in numbers. And start gaining some of that power. Have enough that if your vote, if you vote away, that you know you will get, uh, you know, some pushback, blowback back on. Do you have enough votes to actually stop the? Legislation well, yeah, that's from the whole point. That the squad members, because and, of the narrow margins in the right House could have stopped anything. They could have held up Biden's agenda as completely
1: as Mansion and Cinema could have. Not in every instance, because there were some cases where Republicans, Nancy got for some Republicans right. cross the line. But for things that I would argue Republicans were very unlikely because of political blowback, blowback to vote for, like a Republican was not going to vote for Nancy Pelosi to become Speaker of the House. You know, I mean, if they did, I would love to see that happen and let that person <laughs> I mean, suffer the electoral consequences. Maybe that's an opportunity for a Democrat to get that seat, right? But you don't you don't get those kind of opportunities unless you force people into those situations. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question to you is, mm-hmm. you know, I understand that there's an argument that forced a vote happened too quickly. I can't really debate that. My impression from talking to folks that have heard from electeds is that they were caught off guard, but mostly because they decided to believe that it was coming from a source that they didn't like. And because they didn't like Jimmy Dore, they were suspicious of it and didn't act quickly enough and pay attention to it quickly enough because mm-hmm. of their own bias about the messenger, which is Feel how you want to feel about him. It's a little frustrating as someone who was part of that movement, along with Cornell West and Crystal Ball and Kyle Kalinske and Richard Wolf and any number of respected individuals mm-hmm. that our voices would be ignored. But let's just accept that, that happened too quickly. Next time around, you know, people want to know, what is your approach to dealing with Nancy Pelosi, who clearly has everybody over a barrel? Would you support her again as Speaker of the House?
2: You know, I've always said that my my votes will never be free. And so I was asked this the other day on a, on a, a talk show here locally in Las Vegas you know, and not if, not if she's not on board with uh, what, what my agenda is. And so I can't, I cannot be conscious, though, for someone who is not going to be supported and pushing forward the whole reason why I'm in Congress, why I'm even in politics, and that is for healthcare and for Medicare for all. And so, you know, again, that's my that's my place on it. And where I come from, and one of the reasons why I think I really, really would be united benefit in Congress, you know, not only, I'm not just only a grieving mom, <laughs> you know, I've also had the financial backing. I know how to speak to businesses. I think that's one way that we have not done well at is communicating how Medicare for all will benefit small businesses and medium-sized businesses, right? Because a lot of people are persuaded by the moral the moral high ground of it, right? They want to know about the dollars. So that's another thing we need to be doing. Um, but I also bring, you know, active duty military spouse and husband's currently serving and I'm an anti-war, anti interventionist 100% of the way. And when I talk about Ukraine, it's very scary to me that I hear people saying that we are already at war.
3: Well, I hope everybody will join me. Take
4: on bigtech.com. <laughs>
2: Sorry, Take- commercials. <laughs> These are people that have no skin in the game, do not comprehend what that means. We're not talking about another Afghanistan that is decentralized and is run by tribal elders. We are talking about a country that has nuclear weapons. And all it takes is one NATO person to get her killed, and we can find ourselves in the midst of war. And I am not someone who's going to be pro-anything military-industrial conflict. So uh, I understand the frustrations, but and that's where I go back to, you know, we need to have people with different types of experiences and pushing in Congress. Um, that's, you know, I can't speak for other people who are in Congress right now, but that is how I plan to use my voice. Uh, and, and I think that's necessary. We, I don't know that we have any progressives that have any kind of military right now in Congress or have right. any skin in the game. And the minute that they go into talking anything against military, well, you're anti-military, anti-American. It'd be very hard to say well, that. They called Tulsi Gabbard you know, a traitor. You, know, <laughs> you know, things happen. Right? But, you know, yeah. is well, I mean, that mm-hmm. to say, did you so we,
1: agree with the choice of all of these squad members? You know, every Democrat voted for this 40 billion to Ukraine. Would you have voted differently? Mm-hmm.
2: I am not in Congress right at the moment, but uh, from, the, from, the, from the outset, um, I will not be someone who's voting for uh, funding unnecessary foreign conflict like that could lead us into World War III. And here's the thing, if we're going to be funding the military industrial complex, if they're going to force this, very least, what are you going to get back? And how are you going to, like, every dollar you spend, I want to spend on the American people. How about let's pay off some student let debt? Let's pay, off, like, let's pay off some Medicare for all. You want this? Let's, let's, let's talk. Let's communicate. But again, I think it takes, like, all of us bringing different elements and different experiences and lived experiences into Congress to help form a stronger, more cohesive, progressive unit. And that's what I hope I can bring into this. Um, I feel very strongly about, you know, my opinions on things, and it comes from my lived experience. And again, we all have a different uh, frame of reference and a different lived experience. And uh, that's why I, I mean, from. The I don't US. want to belabor the point, but I do
1: think that part of why perhaps some progressives feel isolated is because they, you know, they've chosen not to engage with the grassroots anymore. They don't want these kinds of questions. You know, I understand there's some people who have an approach or a tone that might seem off-putting to folks, but I don't think... You know, I, I hope it comes across that what I want good outcomes for you and that I like you and that I am rooting for you, as Tyra Banks would say. <laughs> but I, I there are conditions to that. Do you know what I mean? And I think that the conditions that I'm expressing are conditions that a lot of folks on the left feel. And to the extent that the left is divided, they're also divided from these figures that they helped put into office because they don't want to answer for their Iron Dome, Dome votes. And they don't want, you know, they, they have chosen to do what Nancy Pelosi says, which of course is going to get them criticism from the base. And so now they're alienated both from the Democratic Party establishment and from the base. Instead of just trusting the base that got them elected, trusting the base that actually shares their values, to say, what is Nancy Pelosi going to threat, threaten me with? Cutting off my fundraising? AOC is better than pretty much anyone in the Democratic Party. You know, I, I will personally, the day that one of them comes out and says, Nancy Pelosi threatened to not support me and give me an endorsement or to run an opponent against me, if I stood up for the people, they're immediately getting a, a recurring donation from me, right? Because screw Nancy Pelosi, right? I, I want that part. That's what a fighter looks like, willingness to take the hit from the establishment and rely trust that if they do the trust fall into our arms, that the left community will buoy them, just like we are the ones. We are the ones that got them elected in the first place. You know, it was independent media that put AOC on. It was Means TV that, you know, socialist um, – well, maybe, maybe it wasn't Means TV. It was a socialist uh, – a uh, democratic socialist uh, outfit that did her first campaign video. It was uh, Glenn Greenwald interviewing her at The Intercept with one of her first big interviews. Uh, Jimmy Dore, sorry, was her first interview in lefty media. Like, the, these, are the, these are the people that they once trusted, and if some of them have turned against them, you know, there's some responsibility that folks have to own that it's because they had shut the door to the left to shield themselves against a certain kind of criticism. That they could have just come and rehabilitated themselves and apologized and worked through these issues as a community. And instead, they're, they're walled off. I don't have any access to them. I think I'm a pretty nice gal. <laughs> and none of them except for God bless them, real calm, I ever come on the show, you know, despite inquiries having been sent out. So I really do appreciate you doing this gauntlet with me and hearing me out. And I really look forward to seeing what's going to happen with your campaign. Hey, YouTube. Thanks. All right. I think I'm a pretty nice gal. What do you guys think? I'm so glad to be joined by both Nick, who was with us on the YouTube stream, and Afini One of my all-time favorite organizers here in Washington, D.C. Feel free to unmute yourselves. No pressure. Weigh in on that clip or anything else that's on your mind, and I'll start taking callers. But welcome to The Debrief.
5: Hey, Bree. Hey. It's good good to be with this conversation with my sister, Finney. Always good to hear from her as well. Uh, One thing I do want to mention after hearing that clip, I didn't see the whole interview uh, yet. You actually brought up a good point on the pre-show um, regarding how like, the new progressives are really hurt <laughs> by the weakness of Bernie and the squad. Mm-hmm. And I actually made a very similar argument that got a lot of like progressives upset at me because I was on Jimmy Dore show and I explained how the reason why Nina Turner lost, turn a loss, I mean, there's a lot of factors, but if grassroots enthusiasm can't overcome dark money, that means this project is doomed to fail in the first place. So you mm-hmm. have to believe that. You li- if you don't believe that, you have to admit that you're just grifting and you're just trying to make money from working class donations. So if you don't believe that enthusiasm from the base can defeat dark money, you are wasting everyone's time. So what I said is Nina Turner lost and progressive lose because they do not have the enthusiasm. And Bernie and AOC, as you mentioned, unfortunately hurt them. All you see that interview, she has to explain <laughs> why she's going to be different regarding forced to vote. And that's just one of the long-term things that people who was against Force of Vote didn't realize. Like you, you guys are hurting future progressives. So that's all I'm gonna say, uh, to start the conversation off because that's such a good point I thought you made earlier. I
1: I think that's right. I think that's right. Afini, I don't know if you wanted to weigh in. Um if not, we can go ahead and start hearing from M. Mm-hmm. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. But go ahead first, Afini.
6: Um yeah, so you know, I just wanna say, you know, as somebody who works for Someone who's running um, as a progressive, trying running in Maryland to, uh, you know, join the Democratic Party or whatever, it is really difficult um, because, you know, we're also not getting any endorsements from any of these people, you know, and I mean, I think on our end, we're we're focusing way more on like the local support and making sure that people in our district know, you know, the change that we want to bring, but. You know, I wouldn't work for Michaela if I didn't genuinely believe that when she got in there, she was going to challenge power. And like, if I genuinely felt like she was going to immediately fold, then I know I wouldn't be working on this campaign. I wouldn't be wasting my time. Um, And we saw with Summer Lee's race that, you know, grassroots organizing can overcome uh you know dark money the same thing in o- we saw Oregon they spent 10 million dollars of crypto mm-hmm. currency money and you know people are people are still winning their races so I think that you know it's really disappointing to see that the progressives that are in Congress have kind of just burned the bridge behind them and they have kind of abandoned the project of actually growing the progressive movement into what they say you know, works what they say that they wanted to do when they when they were campaigning back in two thousand eighteen and two thousand twenty, they wanted to build this progressive coalition. Well, we're trying to build it and it's literally like they're they're pushing us out. And I feel especially bad. I mean, I'm not I'm not a huge fan of Nina Turner. I've met her personally a couple of times and you know the way she acts towards me is just, you know, not really fucking with that. But I do feel bad for her. Um because to be at dinners with people, to be campaigning for people, to do all these things, to put your your body and your voice and all that stuff on the line, especially as a Black woman, and to be basically like they said, fuck her, (laughs) in my estimation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's really disheartening. Um, But again, like I was saying, like on my end, I really want to make sure that we're focusing on the local support and that my candidate is being as true to herself as she can be on the campaign trail because... You know, she is going to be somebody that's in there that's anti-establishment, that's actually going to challenge power. And that's not going to be nice to Nancy Pelosi and all the other bullshit. But not everybody is making those promises on the campaign trail. People are still kind of tiptoeing around that. And people don't want you to be nice to the Democratic Party. Like, that's that's not how you win elections anymore. It's just not. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting to me that, like, I feel like I'm very upfront with candidates before they come on about my line of questioning. I you know, hope to have Michaela books on by faith too. And I'm very interested to see how she kind of answers this line of questioning. But so many folks, I- I'm trying to explain it to them. Cause I, I want to help them. <laughs> I'm trying to explain to them that to the extent that people are still willing to invest, you at least got to demonstrate that you understand why people are upset with the status quo and the electives that are currently in there and what your strategy is to get a different outcome from what they've managed to achieve I want to bring some chats, chatters up. I'm I'm going rogue. We are not going in order tonight. So look alive. Be alert. I could be calling on you if you're last in the queue. I could be calling you in the front of the queue. I'm starting with Gary. Gary, you are up. Unmute yourself. What is on your mind this evening? Gary didn't look alive. Gary wasn't alert. Gary's got these headphones on. He's taking this selfie in this mirror. In this. Oh, can you hear me? Okay, Gary, all right, I was losing hope.
4: <laughs> oh, no, 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 God bless. <laughs> What's
1: um, on your
4: mind tonight? Um, so I, I just wanted to one compliment you on, on how you've approached the whole Tucker Carl- Carlson conversation and um, the approach you've taken to attempting to build a coalition. Um, it's funny that the, progressive, um, the progressives use the word coalition probably more than any other ideology, but in their rhetoric, they're so exclusionary And so kind of alienating. And I I like your uh, concerted approach to being at least
1: less alienating, if not more welcoming.
7: Um,
8: Yeah, it's interesting. I I did
1: not expect that kind of reaction. Um, And I was thinking about it because the first day that it came out, I want to shout out, Nick, I saw you with some fired tweets trying to clarify what people yeah, were seeing. <laughs> yeah, I have <laughs> to on
9: that. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I <laughs> People seemed intent on not understanding, and you were out here okay, doing well, the Lord's yeah. work, uh, Nick. So thank you for that. But, you know, I, I it was interesting to me that it came out on Thursday. No, it came out on Wednesday, and nobody cared. Nobody cared. I went to a graduation dinner. I had a nice evening Wednesday. I woke up. I did my radar on Thursday, you know, about all of the Tuesday night races. Nobody cared about any of it. And then it seemed like the bat call went out. The, the bat signal went out the same way that it happens periodically. And it, it's, I'm telling you, when I've, now that I've gone through this cycle a few times, it's not organic. I'm sorry. Like, yep, it's not. It's not the, the signal went out the same way it did about the Talia Eleven stuff, the same way it does here and there. And it's always led by the same people. And what I think is triggering it has nothing to do with Tucker Carlson. I honestly think... I was Googling around all of those people who are mad are friends with Stephen Phillips and all of the demographics is destiny crowd. And what they're really mad about is the implication ever any at any time that people of color shouldn't fall in line and vote for the Democratic Party. It's the criticism of the Democratic Party. I think that triggers them more than the conversation about Tucker Carlson, which only a complete, you know, nimrod (laughs) could read into as a compliment of Tucker Carlson. But go ahead, Nick.
5: Yeah, so I, I saw the discourse and I was going
1: mad. There's something that,
5: uh, frustrates the shit out of me. Um uh, and this is, this is a tweet I think I responded to you with. Uh, like whenever anyone, any black or brown person slightly deviates, like, well, I heard what you said and I, I watched the video. I was like, I, this doesn't sound unreasonable to me at all. <laughs> but if, if you're black and or brown, anyone, if you're mm-hmm. not playing the culture war, they would then paint you as a nefarious actor. Uh, mm-hmm. This is the white savior-ism uh, that I see all the time that is a problem on the left. Like, the amount of, like, white faces I saw lecturing to you and trying to mm-hmm. say that you're weak on white supremacy, mm-hmm. like, that, that just rubs me the w- wrong way. I don't understand how they not see how they how they look because these same people, as I mentioned in one of my tweets, they voted for Jim Crow Joe, and their guns mm-hmm. vote for the Democratic Party again. And it's like, Joe Biden is legislating Tucker Carlson's ideology. Like, he's spending like $8 million more on DHS. He literally set records. Do you guys know that? Like, the 2023 fiscal year shatters records for the border borders and custom enforcement. Um, he already expelled more people, in, uh, more immigrants via Title 42 than Donald Trump did. So, that's what pisses me off the most. Like, if you said some real Candace Owens shit, then yeah, you deserve it. But these <laughs> people who literally prop up our racist system. They think they can wag their finger at a black woman. And the last thing I'm going to say, and I'll pass it back to the panel, critical race theory, I explained this on my stream earlier. Like, the idea of critical race theory, which a lot of these people claim they believe, right? Critical race theory is saying that the racism of Billy, right, a random white dude, that sucks, but it's not the main thing we should be fighting. It's not the main concern, because that is not the main damage on people's lives. Honestly, I don't care about your opinion of me. I do care that we have a fascist police system that steals uh, uh, wealth from black families at a 60% rate via civil asset forfeiture. Mm-hmm. And if you support that in the vice president who believe in prison slave labor,
10: mm-hmm. how can
5: you criticize anyone that's to your left on racial issues? Now, and I I agree with everything you said, mm-hmm. but that alone, thats I was like reading the whole drama that why I your a few tweets, got like, this is absurd that they get away with this. And, you're right. It is a coordinated group uh, attack because I was hit with this attack many times and I'm a and I'm a smaller channel. Like you, you see these coordinated attacks, you see people lie about you over and over and then eventually those lies become fact because they got this this big like group PM, big, big shitlib big shit accounts are retweeted. It's just I see it over and over, Sabria. I one hundred percent agree. It's definitely coordinated. Anyone who don't think it is, you're being naive. It's one hundred percent coordinated attacks on anyone who speaks out against Democrat orthodoxy. So that's all I'm going to say on that.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Gary, did you have anything else?
4: Um, just also, additionally, I just wanted to also point out, uh, I know because of these coordinated attacks, sometimes it's, it feels almost necessary to sort of put out that red meat about white supremacism and the direct association to Tucker Carlson's mm-hmm. audience. But I would guard against that because like I said, if you're trying to, you know, get people on board, so to speak, the last thing you want to do is make them feel unwelcome. And I know I'm speaking to the choir because you're a comms person, so nobody understands messaging and the importance of welcoming pe- people into your party more than you do, which is why well, I don't understand why you would even go there because these people are not constructive actors when it comes to just calling everybody white supremacists. Like, these well, look, are not leaders. Yeah. These are not coalition
1: builders. These are he- just here's, hateful here's, what's, people. Here's, what's so, here's the thing. I just did a whole two-hour episode with Q and T and Max Alvarez about Tucker Carlson and white supremacy, like not 10 days ago. <laughs> like it was yeah. literally last week. I did that episode. Right. Yeah. And then I did a follow-up episode with Me, like literally the very next episode with Iryme about the shooter and white supremacy and how everyone's trying to downplay the explicitly right White supremacist messaging in the shooter's manifesto, and telling everybody. I heard T. I was listening to Champagne Sharks with T. yesterday or this morning, and he was talking about how they are. They think it's a little. They have this it's conspiratorial or they're a little suspicious of why everyone's trying to downplay reading the manifesto because all these liberal channels are like tiptoeing around the idea that the guy was a white supremacist when he is a self-described white supremacist which you would know if you read the manifesto and the like dozen pages about how black people are intellectually inferior and another dozen pages about how to spot a jewish person because they're a scourge of the earth or whatever you know so like i i i it, it is frustrating to me that like I had literally done nothing but like three back to back episodes about Tucker Carlson and white supremacy. And then people have the audacity to try to read me out of context like that. It's fine. It's whatever. But what I found really heartening was how many people look. I told you on this guys on this show, I see rising as a test kitchen to test messages and see what works. And I was really blown away with the number of people in the comments on that video who said, I listen to Tucker Carlson and I've never had anybody explain to me what racism was like that. And I think I'm getting it now. Now, you can say that doesn't matter, but some of those people are people who could potentially be picking up a gun <laughs> and shooting people who look like me in a grocery store. So I get it doesn't matter to you, but it sure as hell matters to me. And much more likely, they're going to just pick up a ballot and vote for something that hurts my community disproportionately. So I'm sorry. Like, like I said in the video, America's 70% white. And if you don't want to convince white voters... Go forth. You don't have to. Nobody's asking you to. But this idea that you're going to ignore the audience of the largest cable news show in the United States of America and not figure out a way to talk to them about what Tucker Carlson is doing, that you think your you're, you're most effective messaging, like whether or not I believe, I obviously believe that Tucker Carlson's racist. That's not the point. Me saying it's racist, me saying that's a dog whistle, y'all. You guys simultaneously think this audience is comprised of morons and also think that they understand what a dog whistle is. You can't have it both ways. They obviously aren't picking up what you're putting down. So you have to figure out how to use words that connect with people who obviously some of them are in bad faith. Yes. Ignore them. Some of them are operating in good faith and just don't know because we have spent so much time saying racism, 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 and so little time contextualizing and explaining what these things mean. These people are not Oberlin students who have taken CRT classes. It is what it is. I'm sorry. That's the state of the American educational system. People need to explain. And I, if you're watching Tucker, like you got to watch Tucker, I'll pull up another clip and play it a little bit later. Um, of a, a recent episode he did, it might've been last night or the night before, but he is priming his audience to ignore people accusing him of racism. And you have to figure out how to re- re- rhetoric your way around that, like it or not. If you want any chance of actually persuading people and not just hoping that demographics are destiny, but thank, thank you, Gary. I'll let you, in, uh Afeni and Nick, if you want to weigh in, but I'm going to pull up the next caller while you do.
5: Yeah. Um, so CJ, my revolutionary blackout brother, did a great breakdown of the Toad Carlson replacement theory uh, controversy. Mm-hmm. And this is mostly about white comfort, like just blaming one news host for something that has been a mainstream uh, ideology of both parties, because as I mentioned before, the Democrats legislate the ideology, right? So they don't white America they don't ask themselves why is Tucker Carlson the most popular cable news host, and I guarantee you they got relatives. It, it statistically has to be they got relatives who watch Tucker Carlson, mm-hmm. and there are these people who I think they're in love with the red blue so, wow. game so much they don't necessarily even care about winning people over. And I, I'm sure you know who I'm talking about, Bree. Like These mm-hmm. people just care about engaging in partisan battles. They're not trying to win people over. They're just addicted to the rush of the argument against the right. And the same thing with the right versus blue. And I've been telling people, if you are a white ally and you just ignoring this whole Tucker Carlson thing, not talking to uh, your family members who like Tucker Carlson, if you're not trying to bring people to our side, because you did a good job of convincing a lot of people, but it's not our job. Like hey, a lot of these well, white liberals, they'd rather just stiff arm the issue. And they're like, oh, well, black people may handle the anti racism issue. Um, and because they're not engaging in uh, these conversations and bringing their racist family members on the right side because they're afraid of conflict, they want to latch out at you for doing the same thing and winning people over. They don't really care. And I, w- I want a ton of conservatives over and have them flip to the left because mm-hmm. we all about having dialogue with people. They don't care about having dialogue with people. They rather just play the divide. Tug Carlson bad. Anyone who watched Tucker Carlson, anyone who decided bad, we not going to look at the system. Right. So that's all I'm going to say. Affinity Bree, you can go
6: ahead. Um, I just really want to quickly say like, you know, I listened to all of your episodes um, about Tucker Carlson and Y2MC. I listened to your rising and like your, um your radar about it. And, I think these deep and uncomfortable conversations about what these institutions look like, what these institutions look like, what racism looks like, how it shows up, like those are the important conversations to have. And it's a little frustrating, especially like as a black femme organizer, um, when, you know, black issues that could be solved that need to have that we need to have a conversation with just get wrapped up in the culture war yes we can get past you know just calling people names and stuff like that but we should explain what these things are we should explain how they show up in our everyday lives because white people need to be uncomfortable they need to understand that they play a role in this shit every single day when they get up when they fucking put their socks and shoes on Karen, Susan, Bill, all y'all are playing a part in white supremacy and upholding white supremacy and the racial hierarchy in this country. So until we can address the racial hierarchy, the economic hierarchy in this country, and really start to do some real wealth um, real real wealth redistribution, like, you know, policy that will grant reparations, those things, like all of those things come from having these deep, uncomfortable conversations, which is why CRT or, and or Real history, the truth, is important because these white kids need to know that their great great granddaddy f- cut up Nat Turner and ate his body and cooked him down in the oil and sold his body around like that. They need to know that shit because this that does not need to be repeated. We're going to continue to see people like the shooter on like 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 the shooter from a couple of weeks ago and the many that came before him because black people have been getting lynched. People of color have been getting terrorized in this country. And as long as the institutions in this country say that that is okay, say that our lives don't matter as long as, as, long as we don't economically matter, these people have the green light to continue this behavior. We have to dismantle white supremacist, um, white supremacist violence in all of our institutions. So, yes, we have to talk about it. We have to be honest about what the effects have been on people like myself and, um, and our ancestors. Because we're still yeah, seeing all that shit today.
1: Yeah, what's so interesting is that the people who seemed to, to be made uncomfortable by the radar were not the people who regularly watched Tucker Carlson. They all you know, were like, Oh, like either they disagreed, which fine. They I, nothing's lost there, or they said, Oh, I I'm, I'm thank you for explaining what a dog whistle is to me. Everyone's been saying dog whistle for 40 years without actually explaining what a dog whistle is. So this is, I'm hearing it. You're right. You are pointing out some inconsistencies in Tucker's argument. Even if I think, even if I believe that there's a such thing as like an American identity, which should be preserved, which, you know, (laughs) but even if you think that, why am I presuming that this group of immigrants is better than that group of immigrants when neither of them is American. You know, like those kinds of basic questions, you have to figure out how to say things in different ways to jog people's critical faculties. And it is very interesting to me that the people who were triggered by it were a bunch of white leftists who seem to be, I don't know, the least charitable interpretation is they're frustrated that about their own kind of diminishing relevance in a post Bernie world. Um, A more charitable read is that they just don't have very good critical thinking skills and are legitimately confused. But the people who I was trying to talk to got it. And people who, you know, don't want to watch Rising, shouldn't watch Rising. And they can listen to all the other platforms where I'm happy to sit around preaching to the choir about how everyone's a white supremacist. uh, Jose, that's an interesting spelling. Is it Jose or do you pronounce it differently? Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Oh that you you press the not unmute button, you press the get out of dodge button, it happens you're not the first I get it, um, I'm going to bring up Day, who has not been up in a long time, and I miss him, Day, what's on your mind this evening?
11: Hey Bri, Um, can you hear me? I can, awesome, sorry I'm like recovering from COVID, it sucks by the way so oh no I hate it, ghetto, don't recommend it um, <laughs> <laughs> but well, i'm um, sorry was,
1: I'm, I'm sorry about that but i'm glad you're on the rebound
11: oh uh, thank you so much um so i want to continue the conversation i first of all want to say thank you um because you actually on this episode for me articulated the the thought process of people who are a little more discouraged i understood the sentiment but i think sort of like amy i was missing like well what were people wanting and mm-hmm. i think you that very very well so I wanted to say thank you because it helped me understand it better in terms of these are the things that people want to hear um, mm-hmm. but taking that further because you know we are seeing some wins and things like that from different people and my question is sort of about how can these progressives who are winning thankfully um, overcome like an anticipated you know red wave um, this cycle because in it Long, long story short, we all know that, like, it's great that we're getting these people to go up against, you know, in the general election in their races, but we always, as a left, say, hey, it's actually us who could win these, quote unquote, gettable Republicans or independents, et cetera. And now it's our chance to put up or shut up. But unfortunately, we have the deck stacked against us because of just national politics and how that's going. So I was kind of curious what your thoughts would be on how to address that or to try to find some balance. Cause I'm like, my only thought is like, okay, this is when left media really could unite and show what that looks like um, to have unity as a unit and really push these people. But I don't know.
1: So you're asking how to do that, how to get left media all on the same page.
11: Well, how to over how to help these progressives overcome the obstacle that's not their fault, which is it, there is the anticipated red wave. Kind of like 2010 vibes like we had great people running, but unfortunately, it's just the national tide was so trash. But now I don't want what I don't want, I guess, to be really specific is I don't want people to then think, see, the left can't the leftist candidates couldn't win and let those people use that.
1: Yeah. OK, so it's going to happen. It will it will happen if they won and it would happen if they lose in the in the radar I did on Thursday which nobody watched because all of the self-righteous people who want me to do a certain kind of content won't click on the straight lefty news. They're only masturbatorily hyper fixated on the Tucker Carlson. Um, I covered, you know, the, the, the wave on Tuesday. And one of the clips I played was Chris Wallace, previously a Fox now on CNN talking about how somehow it was a bad thing that Fetterman and all these people want. And how mm-hmm. Fetterman was gonna really struggle in Pennsylvania because he supports choice and, you know, common sense gun reform and marijuana, all of which are extremely popular in America and even more popular in Pennsylvania. You know, so they're gonna do it anyway. And I don't know. I if there's something to be learned from <laughs> the Tuckers and Trumps of the world, it's to go on the offensive and stop being a completely reactionary entity that only caters your entire politics to anticipating what the bad guys are going to say about you. You would need to like, you get to design your own conversation. You know, you get to prepare your audience. I would love to see leftists. Doing what Tucker says and says, like, they're going to say this about me if we lose. This is the argument you're going to hear. But that's just a cover for them not taking it, you know, taking accountability for the fact that they damned my campaign, that they supported these dark money interests against me because they don't care about the people. Go ahead and let people know what's coming down the pike so they can anticipate it. It won't be so easily swayed by that kind of messaging. You, you cannot avoid it. When you win, they're going to say it. When they lose, they're going to say it. And I don't know that that's a reason not to run candidates to the extent that you still think that people should run candidates. <coughs>
11: No, I think that's a great response because I honestly always joke and they say if I ever ran, it's like, you know, what, why not just poke fun at everybody and just get it out there up front? Because it's like I think that Republicans do that very well and people still vote for them. I guess then that leads to my sec- my second thought or question is, and maybe Afini brought up something similar if she wants to answer as well, is how do you anticipate? Because I'm all for appeasing the base and saying the things like you proposed to Amy in this episode, but we've also seen that unfortunately being a Democrat for certain people is a part of their identity and they're kind of like, they're adverse to people who seem like they'd be antagonized. And we saw that happen with Nina, et cetera. So how do you toe that line? So you get the base to come out, but you also can get those people to vote because you need to get an office or otherwise you can't do anything if you're stuck in the election process.
1: I, I don't know, I, I look, I don't know if if people do what I say they might lose. I'm very open about that. I have no idea. But I look at what the right is doing, and I see that their their voters understand that even though they might not like Marjorie Taylor Greene or the craziest version of the conservative that's out there, at the end of the day, they're going to fall in line and vote for the conservative. Mm-hmm. And they, by playing to the base, they get donations, they get energy, they get support. By having some ideological diversity within the party and conservatives fighting with each other very openly in Congress, they get energy in the party. Meanwhile, <coughs> Democrats force everybody to fall in line. They literally were sanctioning vendors for working for insurgent candidates back in 2018. Like literally, <laughs> if you know, if you are a caterer <laughs> who sets up for Cori Bush, you are banished from ever working for a Democratic. And like that's where the Democratic Party was. At that po- at that point, like that's the that, that's the contrast.
11: Ride-in. I'm sorry. <laughs> they did a write-in in Buffalo, like that. They the did point. a write-in.
1: They stole <laughs> they stole India Walton seat right out from under her. Okay, and. You know, and that's, and this is what, this is what the consequences are. Do you know what I mean? This is, this is what we're seeing. So I, I'm not saying that it's necessarily going to win, but I see the Republicans modeling how people have common sense and say you can fundraise, especially the left. We need the energy to fundraise. Those candidates aren't going to get any money if people feel like they're going to punk out and not do what they were sent there to do. So you have to have a confidence that you can fundraise on a national stage by being a, a leftist and sticking to your values and knowing that back home in Cleveland or wherever you live, that the ads that you run on TV are going to send a potentially slightly more modulated message, but that you can, you can do both. And at the end of the day, people are going to fall in line and vote for you. But you're with the, with the DMFIs and everybody in the race, good luck. Like you're going to lose anyway, because you cannot keep up with that fundraising. If you don't excite the base, we need the base more than they do because we don't have the corporate money.
11: I agree. I, I think that it's important to force the people that are spending all this money force them to talk about what you want them to talk about at this point because if you're right if my enemies are going to attack me and call me everything that i'm not i might as well at least go out there telling people who i am and a lot and force them to then explain why do they keep saying the contrary and right i mean sometimes you lose like nina turner or i'll never get over india walton because i just think that's the most yeah minor. i never thought that that was even possible which is i'm like democrats are so creative except when it comes to beating republicans but you know that's (laughs) another conversation but i i mean i appreciate your insight on that because it is something that i i just don't want the left to get discouraged like i don't want us to have all these people up to bat and then get discouraged if not no
1: i think that's narrative that's narrative control and that's i mean that you know bernie said it was going to be long and hard everyone understood it was going to be long and hard i don't think that actually the left is like a quick fix game I think that what gets demoralizing is what candidates do and how they disappoint us, not the actual losses themselves. So look at Bernie Lawson, 2016. And everybody put their big boy pants right back on and got on the train for 2020. And half of y'all are still ready to get back on the train for 20, uh, 24. If that's what it comes to. And like, I get it. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, but thank you day. I'm going to try to, um, there's a lot of people in the queue. You guys are, you guys are queuing today. You are queuing. <laughs> Um, but thank you. I'm gonna get try to get Jose back up in here if that isn't bad to pronounce his name. But feel free to weigh in whenever you want, Nick and Affini.
5: Afinny, you can go first this time.
6: I'm gonna say yeah. I just wanted to say hi, Jay. Um, number one, but now you're gone. Um but yeah, I really think that people understand at this moment that we need urgency, that we need policy, like we don't really have time to keep arguing with moderate Democrats about what is right or wrong. And also, like in my experience, just, you know, as a field director, I I'm in contact with a lot of voters and even older black voters are like, I don't understand how all of this has happened. And we did all of that in 2020 to get him elected. And nothing has changed. Like everything's getting worse. Gas prices are higher. I can't afford (laughs) I can't afford a carton of eggs the same uh, like, you know, like, bef- like I could before, like, what is going on? And like, people just aren't understanding, but people are seeing the checks that are being written to Ukraine. They see mm-hmm. baby formula shortages in, in America, but they see, you know, bombs getting shipped to Somalia to, to invade their country. Like people are seeing what is happening. And I think that, you know, we saw from kind of that the failure of CNN's expansion to like that app thing that they were trying to do, like people are really getting tired of the mainstream ma- mainstream narrative, which is why so many people are becoming independent voters, which is why so many people are, you know, going to independent media, is because you know they want the truth and people want nuanced conversation. Um, so, you know, that's what we do. Um, I don't know if you, uh, some people have heard Michaela speak, but she's definitely not um like other politicians at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're kind of trying to, well. We let her be herself, but, you know, she's who she is and she's very proud about it. And she understands that if she does take down the majority leader of the Democratic Party, that she's going to have a very big target on her back um, and that she's going to be fighting from day one anyway. So she might as well be herself while she's doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I fully support that if she's going to, you know, continue to be an organizer, continue to have, you know, connections with the community the way she does now, if she's going to continue to challenge power and to like speak out and speak her mind. If she's going to continue to be that person, the person that I'm working for right now, then I fully support her going into Congress and getting kicked out by the next, by the president, the presidential election, because they fucking hate her. I mean, I'm all for that, but at least we'd have somebody that has the platform that is going to fight back in some way. Like Michaela is not, she's not going to bend and that's why I really respect her um and if she disappoints me i'm gonna call her ass the fuck out and she knows that so yeah (laughs) yeah thank you
1: that's a (laughs) a
5: pretty that's a pretty powerful motivator knowing that you have a finny waiting to pop off on you as soon as you show any weakness and unfortunately that's not what a lot of elected progressives had. like i actually do know like of, of like former AOC organizers who hate our guts, but they're not on the highest level. Like these people need pressure from people they are close to. That's the only thing I can think of that will work. Now, since we're talking about electoralism, I, I'll try to be here be real short. Uh, we have this conversation about RBN. There are a lot of people in RBN that's to my left. Like my brother Rome, he would say no electoral politics. No, no sir, none at all. And Rome is to my left on this issue. I, If you put, if I had to put the number, I'll put maybe like 10 to 15% of our energy should be put towards electoral politics. And I'll give you guys a real world local example. Uh, I was recently on the ground. I was covering Casey Tenet's uh, announcement for a citywide tenant union. And Casey Tenet is easily the most slept on leftist organization in this country. It's not even close. Like their discipline, their theory, um, the way they're organized is Unbelievably brilliant. They launched the first ever citywide tenant union. Now, they are the reason, or they play a giant reason why our mayor, Quentin Lucas, from Kansas City, he was elected. Now, so what they did is even though they engaged like 80% of their time in in mutual aid and local activism, they uh, focused on the mayor race. Now, I'm going to tell you guys why they did that and why they were so successful. So they backed Quentin Lucas, our mayor in Kansas City, so then when the COVID crisis hit, they was able to secure a meeting with Quentin Lucas and got hotels for around 150 homeless people in Kansas City who would have froze in the winter. Now, this is a real material victory for workers. Like she was, they were able to secure housing for people who would have been screwed otherwise. How did they do that? They did that doing the exact opposite approach of people who engage in Justice Democrat ideology. They told Quinn Quinn Lucas, they said, we got a ton of community power. We are the reason why you won in the first place, because he was the farthest left candidate. And they straight up told him, if you do not meet with us and address this issue on homelessness, we will do everything it takes so you to lose. We don't care who's running. If you don't meet with us, we will make sure you lose. We will tell everyone not to vote for you. And because they did that, they got that meeting and secure housing for people. Mm. Now, look at what people are Chris has nothing for doing. You're too mean to Bernie. You're too mean to politicians. How are we supposed to hold these politicians accountable without without throwing our weight of, as a proletariat unapologetically? Not none of this. Please, can you do this? Please, I'm trying to be nice to you, sir. Please, Bernie. Listen. No, they only care about their job. We should be telling these people, and we have not, because I'm not that
3: influential.
5: But if the left as a whole was telling the squad and Bernie Sanders, if you guys don't stop being biden bros we're done what we changed? Mm-hmm. saying i don't know if anything changed but i think that's a better strategy than what we have now but that's my la- that's my rant go ahead brie
1: thanks nick uh jose you going you, under- you got it this time my friend i can hear you you're a little faint though
12: yep can you hear me is this is better
1: there you go loud and clear what's on your mind this evening um I whatever you did, just switch back to the quieter version of yourself.
12: Yeah, is that better?
1: Yeah, that's louder. Yet. Sorry
12: about that. <laughs> I pressed the wrong button, as you could uh, imagine. <laughs> I don't know why they made the <laughs> mute button way bigger than the sorry, way smaller than the actual <laughs> the hang up button, but it, it is what it is. Um, I just want to. Wor- it's a work in all- progress,
1: but yeah, what's on your mind? <laughs>
12: Thanks so much for everything you do. Um, I've I've definitely made the rounds a few times with all the lefty commentators and you're like by far the person who makes the most sense and is actually able to like speak in the most nuanced ways about all these topics. So um, I know your job is probably extremely sometimes depressing and sad. And, um, you know, you have a great community of people who think what you're doing is really, really important. So just just wanted to thank you, first of all. Thank you. Um,
1: Every, really thank all of you. I really do appreciate it and it is like the rock that I cling to. <laughs> so I, I do appreciate that.
3: Um
12: I I I we have way too many questions, but I wanted to try to keep it simple. Um uh I think along the lines of the sort of third party and alternative to any alternatives to electoral politics. Um, I was wondering with your um, lawyerly expertise, if you knew if there was any way to enforce antitrust laws against the major two parties, Mm. um, I don't know if that's a thing or not, or if if there's any way to like angle that. Um, But there are obviously monopolies on our political system. So I just don't know if like there's any way to leverage that against them. Um, Yeah.
1: I have no idea. I mean, that's fascinating. I, you know, I, I, I suspect the answer is no, <laughs> but I think it's a really interesting kind of uh, an intellectual argument that I'd love to put to an antitrust attorney. I know you guys are a little bit tired of Matt Stoller, but obviously he's the person I thought of, but maybe we can find some election law uh, attorney who, and an, another antitrust attorney to kind of moot that sort of a thing.
12: Um, I and I, I on on Matt's solar real quick, and you can feel free to just cut me off and hang up on me whenever you need. Um, but I, 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 you, you again, you're just so patient with these types of conversations because I, <laughs> as I was listening, and I was watching, I was like how does this dude not get it like <laughs> like he's like well no but america's always been it's it's always been the greatest place we're like well when who is like well i mean back in the day and you're like well exactly when well it's just this time and you're like well there were slaves and women couldn't vote And he's like well but i mean it's and it's like you just like very gently just allowed himself to just spin out into complete garbage nonsense about that one particular topic i mean he's great on a bunch of other things but yeah i mean um, that's the
1: thing and i'll say this i the the other debate the charlie kirk debate is out and i can't bring myself to watch it because i know i got triggered like the first five minutes and i'm still kicking myself for it but at the end of the day the best thing is to let people ask it's just to ask people questions and let them hang themselves and that's charlie kirk's strategy you know you, you know, he he opened the debate and's like you you're here. You think white supremacy is, exists. Defend your position. You like to talk about race. Defend your position. I'm like, actually, I everybody in my community hates me for not talking about race enough. So <laughs> I, maybe you <laughs> thought I was black. So I'm some expert on all of these things. But you should probably have had like some kind of social scientist, AFAM study, sociologist, something who could be much better than me. But OK, well, Obviously, you know, them were off to the races, but I, I noticed like that is part of a big part of his power and p- part of the people who are in that debate me bro culture, their power is just always being the one to ask the question because nobody knows the answer to every question. And when you're right. asking the questions, you never have to defend your own beliefs. Right. Um, so that's right. not to say I'm like trying to trip up Matt Stoller in that way, but to the extent no, that people have could... these ideologies that <laughs> seem inconsistent, you know, oftentimes the best way to get to the bottom of it is just to ask them to like prove their assertions
12: right right yeah um i, I went to school in cleveland I, I went to the i went to the cleveland institute of music for my undergrad and master's so hey, i also have a kinship I, I have an ohio kinship with you yeah so <laughs> anyways thank you so I love, much appreciate I it that for you
1: yeah thank you so much for calling in uh, i'm gonna take another question before i let you guys back in just to get through some of these folks andy i saw you in the other chat so i appreciate your persistence unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind Can you hear me? I can.
13: Okay, great. Uh yeah, I've been trying to get on Colin. Yeah. So, I guess I want to talk a little bit about China because when that episode I had a lot to say but you know, didn't have time or like, you know, everyone else was talking, but I just wanted to uh say that I think the Uyghur people are being having a genocide put on them and I feel like if anyone wants to learn about them, they could check out uh, Ziran Zhe Zhao, I forget how to pronounce uh, their name, but they are the author of the book Iron Widow. They're uh, a Chinese immigrant or like a Canadian immigrant. I don't know how you uh, say that, but they talk about like their experience, but also just like culture. Uh, they review stuff and sometimes they'll go on diatribes about their Chinese experience. But also, there's an episode, a podcast episode, um, on the experiment called uh teenage life after genocide that's the experiment it was on may 12th and it just talks about uh that experience and i think a lot of people could learn more about chinese i don't know atrocities that way
1: well thank you for the that andy go ahead nick
5: i apologize brie um so we gotta be very careful with information that we get Uh from the empire and the media of our empire there has been there have not been first-hand accounts of the genocide that yeah, going on the Uyghur population now i want i want to how how is there a, how is there a genocide of a population whose life expectancy literally goes up that that doesn't like, that based on this yeah. based on the definition that they're giving on the genocide of the Uyghur population you could say there's a genocide of black americans like they, What they say is, they say, oh, well, these people are not treated well. Well, Black people aren't Based. treated well in this okay. country. Yeah. Uh-huh.
13: But the difference is, not, I mean, it's, been, I'm not there, saying there isn't not, a difference. There have here. not
5: you been. There, but I don't want to argue about this, but there have not been a lot of uh, confirmed independent investigation into the Uyghur genocide. In fact, there was actually a big story. I'm trying to see if I can dig up the article I rep- report on this, where a lot of, where well, they literally admit there was an organization I looked into it. We don't see no evidence of, of Uyghur genocide. They literally... The life expectancy it goes up. How your life expectancy of a group
13: goes up in the middle of a genocide.
5: But anyway, I would love to hear. Okay,
13: like if I'm something or. Well, it's just that um, I like totally understand like people's unwillingness to like believe Western media because we do have a uh, they do have um, what's it called a benefit to pointing China in a negative light. But I do think that there is evidence of it. I would like to just, yeah. So my main thing would be the I'm just protest. asking what
5: it is because like yeah, it, yeah, yeah. So, people on the ground say that like they're, a th- they're, so, they're a thriving community. So, so I don't understand where's the claim of genocide, genocide coming episode, from?
13: That it's the story of a Uyghur, um, what's it called? You, you uh, can find bad immigrant immigrated in America, to America. And it's, she lived in Uyghur camp. Well, so what she talks about is how her neighborhood, which was Uyghur, was surrounded by like, you know, barbed wire, like chain fences. So they closed them off and then slowly they would send them to camps and her, he, her and her family escaped to America before then, uh, before they could get to them. And it's like her personal account. And that's yeah.
1: So I don't want to relitigate this because we did like literally a three-hour podcast about this like a week ago. So this is the same thing that came out on that podcast where Matt Stoller was very confident that there was a genocide. Um, uh, uh, Sorry. Um, uh, um, Danny was very confident that it wasn't you yeah, know yeah, yeah. danny had been there you know at least been on the ground and matt couldn't offer any specific examples I... and so here we are i'm still waiting also for people to be more more concrete so okay. i you know i googled your person and it says, it says they're a chinese born canadian author who's written sci-fi i'm not sure that's a first-hand account but i'll definitely follow no up, it's, I not, a, it's you. not like a
13: biography about that it's just like they yeah they have a youtube channel and sometimes they'll talk about like when they're reviewing a media that kind of has a Chinese influence. They'll talk about the Chinese influence and sometimes they'll talk about communist Chinese influence. And I yeah. would also like to say that the CCP I- has the uh, social credit system that people in China can't like, say what is bad about China. So that's why you have to look to immigrant people who have uh, gotten out of China for their opinions because they can be more free about that. That's all I want to say. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you for calling in, Andy. And I'm sure this is something we'll continue to keep talking about. Uh, Adrian, you're up next. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Adrian, press the unmute button. It looks like a little microphone, aka also like a corn cob to me.
14: Wait, yo, am I on? What's up?
1: (laughs) You're on, Adrian. Welcome to the chat. What's on your mind this evening?
14: First, hey um this feels wild I've been listening to the content for a while and so I've always tried to catch a callin', and I always miss it so hey everybody hope y'all are feeling well (laughs) here's what's on my mind one I think a couple different things so I'll get as much out and then we'll pass it to the next person but one I think you should do an episode about like young people um and their views about politics possibly changing so like I'm 27 years old and i got really inspired by Bernie Sanders 2016, still was riding that wave in 2020. And it is so depressing to just watch how the level of excitement that I had about, oh my gosh, there's possibility. I still believe that positive things can happen in the world, but I just think that it's so interesting to see how I myself, somebody who follows policy, who likes to engage in these types of conversations, have just kind of watched my light dim a little bit and I really Mm -hmm. have to be insistent upon having some type of a flame. Um, so I think that that would be an interesting conversation to have. And I feel like that juxtaposed next to people saying things like, well, the Democratic Party sucks because they have bad followers. It's like, no, <laughs> what are you talking about? We're the same people out here running around in these streets trying to get people get y'all folks elected. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just, I think that that would be a really good episode, maybe like panel style and just kind of talk with people like, where were you a couple years ago? What are your thoughts now? Um, so that's that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to do more man-on-the-street stuff. It's just just a lot more time-consuming. But I think about that all the time. Like We're in our echo chambers, and that's part of why I like calling. It's the closest I can get to talking to people outside of my bubble and out in the real world. But I I completely agree. If we ever go on a hiatus, the podcast has never taken a break in a year and a half. It's been going. But if we ever take like a month yeah. or two off, I would love to spend some time doing some some content like that. But what else do you got? What else do you got? Yeah, and look,
14: I will say kudos to you for doing all that work because I also have a podcast content supposed to be dropping. And I was listening to your episode where you were talking about um, Joe Rogan and identifying about how he's like, Yeah, I just schedule I do a lot of this stuff on my own and you were like, Yeah, I schedule, I coordinate and do the interviews. It is truly a lot of work to do, but I digress. I think for me, one of the big things that I guess I'm thinking about is I know there's a lot of discussion about should we engage in the electoral politics? Where should we be putting our energy? And one of the things that I think about is I appreciate your point and how you're keen on um, basically studying your opponent. You're studying the right wing. What messaging is out there that is successful and why does that resonate? And then how can you prepare yourself to address those things because it's going to come up at some point in discussion? Mm -hmm. And I feel like one of the things that we on the broad left should start considering is what is it about the establishment that we need to start studying, researching, and figuring out, like, we may not like the policies that they implement, but these people are very, very, very effective in implementing what they want and getting their will. And so I think in addition to studying the right and figuring out like how this minority group, it seems to be, based on the numbers, the data, et cetera, is continuing to get its will put in its will put in place. We should also be doing that with the establishment party. And like I I get the frustration with the the electoral politics, and I'm there. But at the same time, I was like, listen, I'm going to just keep donating to Nina Turner on principle. Now, that's just me. Um, but I think about, like, when you look at her race last year when she ran in that special election, the establishment was like, we know we're trash. But we're never <laughs> going to give up. We're not going <laughs> to give this seat to Nina. So if we have to wade through all of these candidates, people nobody has ever heard of before, I couldn't tell you who Chantel Brown was from Pizza I was about to say something probably crazy, but from, from, I can tell you from nothing. And even people who I know who live in Cleveland, uh, Cleveland, my family lives up there. They weren't able to really like articulate who she yeah. is. But Everyone's I mean, just from Cleveland <laughs> now? Is that what's happening? Well, I'm not from Cleveland, but my mom is. I mean, so, same, same, same. Yeah. And and again, like people did not know who she was. And I think mm. one of the things that they have, that I think is a a learning point is, one, you can never get up, give up, and two, you have to go as hard as you can. Like, again, I understand the concerns that people have about electoral politics. I'm disappointed. Yeah, with no, 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 I got you. I got you, Adrian. Mm-hmm.
1: I got you, Adrian. So my first neat meet-dirk reaction was, I got nothing to learn from the establishment. <laughs> I but okay, that. now I, I'm done being triggered, and now I have a real response, which mm-hmm. is I do think that the bulk of what the establishment achieves is through their being the establishment and having money and power at the, their disposal, not mm-hmm. through things that the left can easily emulate. I do. However, when you started talking about Nina Turner's race, I do now, I did was starting to think of some things that happened. I wasn't following this most recent one as closely as I was the one last year, but last mm-hmm. year for sure, there were certain strategic choices made by Chantel Brown, the establishment candidate that were smart. And I don't think they were from Chantel. I think it was from the Democratic Party, obviously. That was just using her as a marionette. But, for example, sending out the um, uh, timing timing their big ad push on TV to the distribution of early ballots and making sure that they targeted nursing homes and, um, you know, uh, dialysis centers and elder care facilities. I've said this before. I will say it again. When I visit Cleveland, there have been times where we go straight from the airport to do the dialysis center circuit because that's where everybody is, Mm -hmm. right? Like understanding what the community is like. There is, you know, Cleveland Clinic is here. There are a lot of people, you know, because of the state of our healthcare system and in black Americans in in particular that are like in these kinds of facilities. Older voters vote more frequently and, and, you know, more committedly. So what ended up happening to Nina Turner in that first round, she only lost by like 3,000 votes, but she really lost early voting and won, Mm -hmm. I believe she won day of voting. And so understanding when ballots are going to drop, making strategic decisions like that. And part of that, Mm -hmm. right, she couldn't play the gameplay because they were changing. They were very ambiguous about what the date of the election was going to be both last time and this time. There's stuff that she can't control. The party really is out to get her. I want to be really clear about that. But Mm -hmm. there are some things that also can be learned and I take that I take that as well so, and I would just
14: say too like the point too about how like nobody knew who Chantelle Brown was but the establishment was like we're going to coalesce around her she might not be the best candidate she might mm-hmm. n- nobody knows who she is I hate to keep bringing that mm-hmm.
10: up but it is what mm-hmm. it is it's
14: true the it's willingness true. of the establishment to just say screw it we know we don't want Nina in let's go ahead and get behind um Chantel, and I feel like that sometimes does not show on the left where we're like really we're sitting and we're having these conversations about like, is this person a perfect person? It's not necessarily a litmus test, but like really trying to find a candidate that checks off the boxes to the values in which we um, have more again for the broad left. And it's just like, yes, but if we are going to um, halt ourselves from achieving some type of power, Um, and then just seeding it to some establishment, I think that that's something we need to start thinking about and really reflecting on. So that's that. And then, yeah, that's it. And I hope that you do an episode on all of that drama coming from um, Friday around, like, Mondaire Jones being thrown out of his seat, Mm -hmm. Sean Patrick Maloney. That is going to be a good conversation because Mm -hmm. we definitely need to have real deep discussion about this we love black people, believe black women, gay men rise to the occasion. And when I tell you they are throwing these people under the bus like no other. So I, I hope that that's on your horizon. But, of course, take your time and do
1: you. Yeah, let me, do, let me DM Mondaire because he owes me coming on. <laughs> Let's see. if he, I mean, he'll never. I mean, I doubt. I seriously doubt he will actually be critical of the party and what they've done here. Um, But I like Mm -hmm. to see it. Let me let that's a good reminder. Let me DM his behind you know, you know, I was his elder in law school, he was like a year or two behind me in law school. So I kind of feel like I can rhetorically grab him by the ear and force him to come on my show, even though that is not how the world works. But thank you for calling, Adrian. I'm gonna let uh, Nick and Afini in here. I'm gonna pull Savannah up to be next at bat, and I'm gonna grab my charger real quick. Did you guys don't feel pressure? But Afini, you wanna go ahead?
6: Yeah, um, you know, I would just like to say that I've been a registered independent since 2018 and it's because the Democratic Party has constantly disappointed myself and other people like me. Um, you know, I do work for Michaela, you know what I'm saying, but I fundamentally understand that the type of things that I want to see are not going to come through the Democratic Party. And if the and I feel like the only way that the Democratic Party is an effective tool at this point, if somebody's going to go in there and just call them all out, like and be aggressive about it, the same way that, you know, Justin Amash and Liz Cheney want to pretend like they're trying to be aggressive against the Republican Party, like, you know, kind of like some of that conflict that um, was being talked about earlier. Like, you know, I feel like that discourse is important and people need to see that. And People need to see that there's somebody on the left that is actually fighting for working class people in a real way. That's not going to fold. That's not going to, you know, get a whisper in their ear and then buckle for Nancy Pelosi. No, like people want to see like real action. And if that's not going to happen to the Democratic Party, as an organizer, I'm like, what's the next step? Because, you know yes, the Republican Party is like mowing us down legislatively. But how do we organize, you know, for a better future that does not Im- that does not completely involve pouring all of our time into electoral politics? Um, I think at this point, electoral politics has shown itself to be a waste of time to put too much time into. Um, so what actions are we doing? How are we organizing our withholding our labor? How are we organizing, withholding our taxes? How are we withholding our time from this system? Like that's the shit that's actually, I feel like is going to fundamentally change something. And, you know, I feel like people are waiting for some magic leader to appear in the democratic party or even on the left to like instruct people how to do this. But at the end of the day, all of this information has already been written for us by all of the organizers that have come before us. Like we have the blueprint. We have, we have the plan. We just need the platform. You feel me? So I just feel like, you know, people need to understand that you are your own leader in this, in this movement and you have to take the initiative. Like I did not, you know, I did not necessarily choose to be an organizer choose to be an activist, but, you know, I started putting the initiative and the energy behind doing this work because I see all the problems that are happening in this world and honestly, in my mind, it makes no fucking sense to sit up here and go get fucking blueberry muffins and work in a cubicle and shit while the fucking world is on fire and while black people are getting gunned down in the street in their homes. Like it I just I cannot fathom living a normal life while all that shit is happening. I just can't do it. Um, so, you know. I just feel like people just need to take the time to educate themselves, get fucking angry and use your anger to do stuff, to do things, to organize, to, you know, organize your community and educate other people that are around you um, because we need real change. And it's going to come from the streets, regardless of whoever the hell is in Congress. This is a white supremacist, uh, you know, government that was built on stolen land by stolen people and shit about to come for free. <laughs> they're not about to give us nothing legislatively unless we demand that shit for real
1: thank you Afini I'm gonna let Savannah get in here and then uh, I'm gonna take Savannah maybe as one other person and then let you get back in here Nick and, and Afini both of you either of you But what's on your mind Savannah unmute yourself and speak to us
15: hey so um so I did watch the video earlier hi everybody um <laughs> But, um, I, for me, I really felt like, um, Amy was just kind of saying the same things that I feel like I hear any other politician say. And I feel like, um, uh, like when, when I start hearing certain language, like, you know, I don't know what's going on in Congress, but you know, I can understand this or automatically I'm already thinking like, um. You know, you're kind of backpedaling. You're not going to be able to hold yourself accountable. Um, it's not revolutionary enough. It's not what's needed right now. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, I don't see why if if you're not if you're if you haven't even determined the ways that you're going to be accountable to your constituents, you haven't determined the um the ways that you're going to meet actually um meet the need the 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 needs of your constituents whether that's um participating gra- in you know grassroots way like uh, you know social alternative does like if i don't see you talking about these types of things I you're like it's i'm already like moving on to the next person because mm-hmm. i i can't take you seriously i don't see the action in the language even so if if you're already um you're weak on, you know, like, I don't know what's going on there, but I think that I would do this or that. Like, it doesn't matter what's going on there because your constituents are what matters. So whatever's going on there. Yeah. Like that's like the least of your concerns. You should just be worried about what you need to do for your people.
1: Yeah. I think that people accuse the left of having these unrealistic litmus tests, like, oh, you think you're going to do a socialism in a year or whatever. But what's so funny to me is that my perception is the litmus test It's specific, but the bar is pretty low and people understand Mm -hmm. that it's going to be hard, but they want to know that you at least are taking the right strategic approach or at least a different strategic approach from what's been tried so that there's some hope there's a different outcome or at least the, the, the contradictions in our system are highlighted or there's some inch forward. They don't, they see us as, as demanding litmus tests, as, as demanding a lot of progress as opposed to any progress at all because they think the status quo is incrementalism. I think that, I mean, that frankly, mm-hmm. there's a lefty version of incrementalism that is like sincerely moving things forward at a, a pace that's much slower than we would all like. Um, mm-hmm. and that's being characterized as like demanding the moon and the stars. So thank, right. thank you for that, Savannah.
15: No, yeah, absolutely. Thank you for letting me talk.
1: I appreciate it. Nick, if any you want to get in here, no pressure. We can take another big, caller.
5: Uh, big shout out to Savannah, big friend. Big friend of the show. Good to hear from you. Um, I know. Love you, Nick. <laughs> yeah. And if any was uh was spitting fire earlier, I just want to add just a little bit, which is I won't be too long this time. I know I, I can tend to rant. Um, I, I, I'm a very scientific minded person. That's how I've always been. I'm a big trial and error person. That's literally how you have to be in martial arts. You try something. If that doesn't work, you're your ass beat. Then you learn how to do and then you try something else. <laughs> that's, that's how the game works. That's how I am with politics. So I canvassed for Bernie Sanders. I fought hard because I really did believe around 2016, even of 2020, 2020, I did like, I, the last shot. Um, And I, I when I saw the idea, like we supposed to join the Democratic Party and the party become more progressive, it it, it literally was the exact opposite. Like, and, And as someone who's scientifically minded, if we joined the Democratic Party and then you saw the Democratic Party shifting to the left instead of funding the police more and running on that, instead of funding multiple genocides Mm -hmm. in Yemen. And like, for example, I can go all day, right? If if you actually saw that left movement, I I would still be on board. The fact that we just haven't. We've seen the Democratic Party double down and shift to the right. And we've seen our progressive uh, leaders run away from the outside game because I believed in the inside-outside game, meaning you have a strong inside who works in coordination with the outside. When I saw there are progressive politicians and not attending the March for Medicare for All, not supporting forced to vote, among many things, right? I saw that they didn't buy the ideology. In fact, they shown like a disdain towards the outside. Like anyone who is not a DNC advisor,
10: mm-hmm.
5: right? If you're not Mark Pocan, right? If you're not fucking... Uh, all these Bernie people, right? If you're not one of those people, they're not interested in anything you say, and that's not the strategy we need to challenge capitalism. So I, I ended there. So um, go ahead, Bree.
1: No, I you don't feel the need to abbreviate yourself. I think that's a it's a good point. I appreciate all of you. Let's get um let's get Daryl up. I don't think I've seen your face before, Daryl. What's on your mind this evening? You got to press the unmute button on the bottom right, Daryl. I know you're a newbie. Can you hear me? There you go. There you go. What's on your mind?
16: That's What's up, everybody? Uh, I think that there will never be, I won't say there will never be, but it's hard to think of a better time to take out the Democratic Party in mm. terms of just get rid of it, replace it with something new, uh, something that actually has a mandate. I mean, Right now, it's basically geriatric leadership has pretty much dedicated itself to the culture war um, and foreign policy war above all else. And I think that leaves a perfectly good opportunity to have a party that's focused on economic, like left-wing economics and cultural moderate kind of positions to move forward. So I think it'll be difficult to do. I think it'll mean ceding power to the Republicans for some amount of time, uh, at least on the national stage. Obviously it's different in, in local areas, but especially in these areas where Democrats aren't gonna win anyway, it's a perfect opportunity to just wipe them off the field.
1: What do you guys think about that? Like, I think a lot of folks will hear you know, you gotta. You know, you gotta kill the Democratic Party. It's gonna Republicans are gonna win for oh, for a while. This is a kind of accelerationism. You know, there's been a lot of propaganda against the idea of accelerationism or any approach that might have long term gains but short term pain. You know, how do you address people with who have those kinds of concerns? Who say it's like, oh, it's like a privileged take to be willing to burn it all down, as it were.
16: Yeah, I mean number one i wouldn't say it's a privileged take i i don't know i guess maybe you'd have to explain that argument to me but the argument that says it's a it's a short-term loss for long-term game i think it's true um i also think right now there's not a very strong prospect for the democratic party doing anything beneficial to society Mm -hmm. so
1: i mean that's the thing that's the argument that RBN, like everybody here has been making really forcefully that I think is really amazing and powerful. And that's what triggers the libs so much is when you point out, Nick, I see you out here talking about, you know, Biden supporting more people than Trump and Biden's the one that's refunding the police and Biden's the one. And that makes people go insane. Like the, the thing that people were most mad about, one of the things in my radar was me pointing out um, that, you know, these Marjorie Taylor Greene yahoos have managed to get to the left of these uh squad members on foreign policy like don't be mad at me for saying it. would be mad at the squad members for allowing them to have that opportunity but that's like they they refuse they win. have like created their whole, whole i'm sorry
16: they're not even their whole win, like they're not even gonna hold power beyond most likely the midterm and very sure well gonna, but the
1: the, the the problem is that their whole world view is trump Trump bad Trump the worst I saw someone even ask you Nick you some, or maybe it was someone else who tweeted something about the deportation numbers and someone responded underneath is this worse than Trump like the raw numbers of how many Haitians have been you know deported you know they didn't even have a, a lens to even understand what that meant without a comparison to Trump and the answer being yes it's more than Trump perhaps finally triggered some recognition that there was some hypocrisy in their own political beliefs
5: yeah, it's actually it's actually very. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the main reasons why I said the U.S. is the most propagandized country. Like they actually got people to look yeah. at things in terms of red blue. I, I can I can literally say something that based on no motion, is not a right wing attack, and then they will get upset like you helping Trump. But I know you want to speak, Daryl, so I let I let you chime in.
16: No, I mean I I think to the to your point, the Democratic Party is more or less just a corral right? The reason that it behaves the way it does is because it is designed to capture those voters who have left-wing economic views and ensure that that will is never expressed, right? That, that's the entire point of the party is to, to be that kind of heat sink and to do the things that they can do socially to kind of keep themselves relevant. But in terms of policy, we see where they have all their creativity and where it's used and how it gets used and how authoritarian they are in terms of certain views within the Democratic Party. So I I don't think, I think you have to recognize that and recognize that the only way to actually move forward in a progressive direction in the ways that are important is to attack that system itself.
1: Well, thank you so much, Daryl. I appreciate you calling in and welcome to the platform.
16: I could say. Uh, Let's get
1: M in here because I saw him in the other chat on the YouTube stream and I everybody knows I've been listening to the Hercules soundtrack a lot on my runs. So <laughs> M with your Hercules avatar, unmute uh, yourself and let us know what's on your mind. M, go in once? Go in twice? All right. Sylvester, come on up. What's on your mind this evening? Hello? Hello.
17: Speak uh, to me, Sylvester. Uh, y'all, um, let's see. How am I feeling today? Feeling good. Feeling good. No complaints today. Um, I'm wondering, I don't know if y'all went over it already. I wanted more so, like, listen and hear what, maybe Nick and what if any what y'all thought about the episode, if y'all had time to listen to it.
5: Yeah, I, I saw the clip in the beginning, um... I don't want to, I don't want to like, despite what a lot of people believe, I don't like really attack people for no reason. Um, But based on what I heard, I'm not super excited for this person. Um, But it sucks. And I mentioned this earlier in the show. Um, She had to answer some tough questions because AOC and the squad made it harder for them. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, I'm scientifically minded. If you had a new generation of progressives who just won and they was doing everything that RBN, Revolutionary Blackout, wanted them to do, and they were creating change. I was like, damn, that's interesting. <laughs> maybe I'll start adjusting. Uh, but it's just not what's happening right now. And based on what I've heard, I need to read the whole, watch the whole episode. Um, I just don't get the energy that uh, Amy's going to be different. I'm not, and i actually sorry to say that, but I just, I'm trying to be honest. I'm not trying to tear her down because maybe she may prove me wrong. I just don't. I just not interested in people who are running in the Democrat Party and they're not like if you're not calling out the squad about their mistakes. Uh, I'm not sure if Amy was endorsed by them, but they haven't been endorsing candidates in general. So I wouldn't be surprised if she was endorsed by AOC and Bernie. But if you're progressive, you're not endorsed by those people. Like, because I understand the strategy of not going after them if they endorse you. But if they haven't, you need to repeat the criticisms you're hearing on RBN to reassure the people that you won't make that same mistake. And just, and just from the short clip I saw, I just don't hear from her. But uh sorry Finny, you can go. I'll let you talk a little bit more.
6: I know you're fine. Um but yeah, I mean I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about her. I'm just uh, on my own personal capacity like we've talked about her a few times. Um, you know, Amongst our campaign, but yeah, I mean, if you're not willing to really go after and criticize the squad in a substantive way um then i'm afraid that you're probably not going to be able to hold the line when you get in there and do the things that you need to do to you know kind of be the lefty party that we wanted the the leftists and the justice democrats to be like we want you to be aggressive we, like we want people that are be able to be confrontational and truthful um and urgent in their language and in the policy that they introduce and in, like in their explanations to the american people and to their constituents on on you know on the local level um that's what we need. We need organizers um, that are that are going to be able to be honest about where we're at so they can be honest about the solutions. The reason why we are consistently stuck in these same loops of policy or even where we see like now we're going back 50 years in time, we're seeing a, a big regression is because I feel like so many times it's not even just, uh, you know, just the Democratic Party, the, Re- the Republican Party that are pretending like, you know, everything is you know, kind of decent and comfortable. So we shouldn't mix things up too much. Like we have to get more comfortable being uncomfortable. And that means that the people that are running for these seats, yes, the squad has made it a lot harder for them. It's a lot harder to believe that these people are actually going to be fighters. So they have to be able to say uncomfortable things out loud. They have to be able to actually challenge them. And if they're not willing to do that, then, you know, I'm not really sure how you're going to get people to be excited to vote for you, people do not want to continue to vote for Democrats if they're going to not get any voting rights reform. If they're not going to get any stimulus checks, if they're not going to get any child tax credits that are actually permanent, if they're not going to get any child care they were promised, if they're not going to get any if, if universal pre-K, if they're not going to get any of those things, then what am I showing up for you for? And if we can't be honest about the failures of the Democratic Party, then the base, like, how is the base educated from that, like? We have to take these moments that we have the platform to actually try to pull people into movement and talk to them about what's honest and what's real so they can make better decisions in the ballot box, even if that means voting for a third party, um, if that's what it comes down to. But, yeah, well, I wasn't too crazy about it, and I really hope that, you know, if she does win, that she isn't as you know milk toast as she was at, on that interview
17: because that was
6: yeah was not it.
17: Yikes! Yeah, mm-hmm. So I'm gonna take it now. We circle back to Bree because I want to go back to something that you was talking about um, where you're saying now you have some of that. I, I saw something today said I didn't know Madison Crawford, uh, that dude Madison called said that a uh, dark MAGA was gonna rise up. I didn't know that now there's like a dark side of MAGA now. I didn't know that this this is new to me. So, but I consider like, yeah, the Marjorie Taylor Greens is a part of that, right? So what you said about how they're starting to outflank the left on foreign policy issues. And I thought I was tripping too, but I don't really see them outspoken on the international stuff i see them send voting and send more money to ukraine just i feel like late like more and more and more as of late i it almost kind of feels like they've gotten i don't know defanged or they got some threats you got mondair jones instead of running in the district that he was in and going up against homie from the d triple c he's moving to another area where i'm hearing that there's already progressives that have been doing work in that space and where he really could have challenged power by staying where he was but you know he decided to not do that so it kind of seems like there's been a lot of capitulation going on on the left i don't know if, Bre, if that's something that you've noticed too because at the end of the day like being honest about it you know the, the democrats they have the presidency the senate the house however you want to slice it and they don't have any tools progressives i mean to legislate you can't. You're not going to get anything past. The only tool to go to what Nick and Afeni is talking about. The only tool you really do have is to um, organize on the ground for direct actions. Use those email lists that you're talking about. That's the only real tool that you have. Otherwise, it's kind of like you're just a megaphone talking and not really doing anything.
1: Yes, I'm sorry. You're asking me strategically what I think. Is oh, the way no. forward, okay. or what's it? A... Sorry.
17: Clear. Okay, I was. At, I'm sorry, cause i sorry because I kind of went off at the end. But have you, you know that you've been noticing like them getting outflanked and everything, and I saw you got attacked for it because someone said that you were trying to big up Marjorie Taylor Green. When that wasn't your point, but haven't have you also noticed that it seems like they've been I don't defang that. I haven't seen them really as outspoken on issues the way that I used to be able to see. Am I missing something?
1: It seems right to me. <laughs> okay. I
17: haven't, I haven't,
1: I haven't seen it either. I mean, they had that Nancy you
17: know. Pelosi talk. <laughs> I, I
1: don't, I don't know what's going on. But like, look, AOC said specifically she was threatened. I think Corey Bush or somebody who, who has knowledge of Cory Bush said that she was threatened out of endorsing Nina Turner. Like, we saw AOC crying on the floor. Like, like, and, and to, let me tell you, if anybody ever threatens me, you're going to hear about it. Exactly. I mean, like, if it's anything short of literally a gun to my mom's head, I'm sorry, guys, I'm not going to let my mom die over all of this. But <laughs> any, if, if it's anything else that someone's like, oh, you can't get this job or whatever. Da, 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 what do I got? Like, they 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 already fucked me over. Like, what am I supposed to? What is I got? A, I got a Patreon. So <laughs> good luck. <laughs> but like whatever they try, like I, I, I will be running to the presses. Look what they did to me. Look what they threatened me with. Because ultimately, the they, they blackmail only works if people keep silent.
17: So why don't they? Why do you it's, think?
1: I don't know, man. It's crazy. I don't know what.
6: Look, I don't know if they're... Like, what can they threaten them with other than losing their seats? I mean, That's unless... Look, literally I, it. That's literally it, though. That's literally the threat. The threat is, hey, this is an election year. We will spend this money against you. We will do whatever we have to do to get you out of your seat. If you... If you endorse these people, if you go against the party, that is what we're going to do. We're going to spend a bunch of money in your district, and we're going to get you put out of your seat. Even Corey right now is going through a t- going through a tough primary. That is not on accident. Oh, wow! Like, this is not on accident. Mm-hmm. So it's just like I don't know. Like I, I want them to make a decision. Like I feel like a decision has to be made. What is more important? Is it more important to organize and use the platform to make urgent change? Or is it more is it more important for them to get to their five years and get their pension? Which one is it? Like that I guess I guess that's the decision that I want everyone to make. And I feel like the decision has already been made. So anybody that comes after them, they need to be very clear about the fact that they're not there to be a politician, but they're actually there to be a public servant and to do what's best for the people and not for themselves. Even if that means sacrificing your five-year pension, even if that means sacrificing your fucking speaking engagements, whatever the fuck else you get, like none of that shit matters if this fucking country is literally unlivable. For everyone else.
1: Yeah, I do. I I do think that, like, I'm not going to sit here four or five days after Malcolm X's birthday and pretend like the government <laughs> can't make real threats. So I, I do want to, like, like I remember looking at Bernie as the campaign ended and being really just, like, blown away by how quickly he endorsed Biden. I mean, it was, like, five days. It was, it was like, less than a week after the campaign ended, if I recall. Maybe it was, like, eight days. But it was a very short period of time and looking at his posture and just trying to understand why on earth like to me it was like seemed clear that he was too old to run again there was nothing coming down the pike you know this was his last shot at extracting leverage the the pandemic was just heating up and it seemed like reality was endorsing bernie the way that you know kianga wrote that great article and 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 i i couldn't help but think along those lines like is there something do, do, do they have like a CIA file on everybody? And they have some embarrassing video of them, you know, at a brothel in 1942. Like what could it possibly be that you're oh. willing to throw it all away over? Is it like in a sexual stuff? Does anyone even care about that anymore? Like does an affair, does anybody care about that anymore? Does like, I, I was just really struggling to figure it out. Like, is it is nudes? I think about that sometimes. Like how could they get me because I'm so Pollyanna? Like, <laughs> what? like what could they do? Like peeping Tommy in my window and catch me changing one day. What am I going to throw my, all my politics over the bus because of a, a topless photo. I mean, guys, it I looks the same be. as everybody else's top. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know? So I, I just, I wonder sometimes, I don't know, but maybe that's me trying to be charitable because it just truly, it blows my mind. Cause I'm with Amy. Like, I think that, I think that Amy really believes and like is really committed and really cares about Medicare for all. And I think that she's undergone a terrible tragedy with the loss of her daughter. And I believe that Cori Bush really cares and, you know, was recently homeless. And, I, you know, I'm trying to reconcile this along with everybody else.
17: Did you have the opportunity to ask him or? Yeah,
1: I asked uh, Amy.
17: No, 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 no. Bernie on why he did it. Oh, so- no, I
1: haven't spoken to Bernie since the campaign ended.
17: Oh, no. So back then you didn't have the opportunity to ask him.
1: No, the campaign was over.
17: Oh, okay. And then okay. <laughs> it's just like we talk after that. That was
1: it. Like S and T didn't talk to Bernie. I mean, and obviously now you know there's been the endorsement and a lot of stuff, but they, like for like I like, feel like I spoke to her, like a year after and they hadn't spoken.
17: Because that's the that's the that's the I guess because Chris Hedges he was talking about it on one of your previous episodes. And it's kind of like what do you him being I don't know how 80, 90, whatever like what do you even have to lose at this point like. You've been here all this time. Like, if anyone, uh, you would be most well positioned to take that type of risk. Because, like, if you don't, you know, (laughs) you're not going to lose your seat. You're too popular in your state. And then, like, what else could they take from you that they haven't already taken from you? Like, they literally stole an election, like, an election from you. They can't take anything else. So, I yeah, it kind of leaves you kind of wondering. But...
1: Yeah, well, thank you for, thank you for that, Sylvester. I'm, I'm wondering, we're all wondering, but, um, we'll, we'll live to wonder another day. We'll see if Amy gets in there and we'll see if things are different. I, I will say that, you know, I do, I am, I am heartened somewhat by Amy's relationship to independent media. And I told her how it was going to go down and she was willing to submit to the questions and she was very gracious afterward and did not have any issue with any of the line of questioning and was like, yeah, I get it. She says she gets it and she's going to give some, give it some thought. And that a lot of the stuff about force of vote and stuff, you know, I think she said on the show was kind of novel to her, which, you know, take that however you want to take it. But, you know, that's at least some kind of progress. So we'll see about that. Thank you, as always, Sylvester. And let's hear from um, Melissa. Melissa, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind.
8: All right. I almost hung up, but I didn't. You you win all the
1: prizes, Melissa. Perseverance. Perseverance (laughs) wins. Yay.
8: Yay. Okay, this isn't what I want to talk about, but... Um, I love you on Rising, and are you going to be there permanently? Are you filling in? What's going on?
1: Um, so far, I'm just filling in and doing it on a test basis and seeing how we feel about it, but I, I will leave it to Rising to make a more permanent announcement if and when that happens. But I'm going to okay. be on there for the foreseeable future.
8: Excellent. Excellent. Great. Um, okay. Okay. Um, I want to hear Nick's opinion on this. I, I don't know, Nick, but I take you're from Missouri. Um, How you doing? Good. I'm wondering about Lucas Kunz's approach. And I think he has a chance, if he can get through the primary. I'm concerned that he's so focused on beating Eric Greitens that he... Yeah. Um, is right? Pardon me?
5: You said Quentin Lucas? I missed No, name. Lucas
8: Lucas Kuntz. running for Senate in Missouri.
5: Yeah, I've been I've been um barely paying attention to that. Uh do you want to give us a like throw us in on that? Because I don't uh okay. like I don't think that's gonna really like impact. <laughs> but you go know, you can explain a little bit more. I just haven't been following that closely.
8: Okay. Um He's really cool. He's running as a populist, but in the Democratic Party.
5: Oh, interesting. and Do you know what his platform is like?
8: Yeah, it's great. It's, um, he's really focused on bringing manufacturing back to Missouri, um, green manufacturing. You know, he wants to get right away from fossil fuels. He, um, it's really focused on like the Chinese buying all the farmland in Missouri. Um,
1: Melissa, is this he, someone who's he, running as a left populist or a right populist?
8: Left, left. Okay, no, and, I'll, I'll and I'll who are it.
1: they running against? What, what's the deal? Is it like a long time incumbent? What's the open, no. open seat? Okay, what's th- the deal?
8: This is for um, Roy Blunt's seat. Okay. Because Roy Blunt is retiring. And Lucas, he's been on rising several times and on breaking points. Um, He's basically running on Bernie's campaign, um, Bernie's platform, except without, like, he doesn't use the phrase Green New Deal or Medicare for all. But he's.
1: Mm. Mm. Why um, doesn't he use those phrases, (laughs) Melissa? Those seem like pretty bedrock
8: because he wants to win a Senate race in Missouri.
5: Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but Missouri passed, like we had a ballot initiative where we expanded Medicaid. So I don't yeah, know why no. he was running away from that. that just that just oh, based on what well, here, I don't no, know. No,
8: I mean, he's he's running on $15 an hour minimum wage, legalizing marijuana. He wants to abolish the filibuster to, um pardon me?
5: Yeah, I was just saying, that's good, sorry. Go ahead, I apologize.
8: Um. I, I, uh, he, he has polling right now showing that he's within a point of very greatness in the general election.
5: That's interesting.
8: And yeah, he's running as a leftist populist.
5: Yeah. So I, I haven't been paying attention to that Senate race. You guys gotta understand. I am, we are uh, children of Claire McCaskill versus Josh Hawley, <laughs> Roy Blunt. Yeah. And, and like the worst. Like so, I literally tuned out a senate in Missouri because we got literally the worst politicians. Like, okay, we are you've the got state. to
8: you've got to pay attention to Lucas Coons because yeah, he okay, is I, say, I appreciate good.
5: that. I'll pay. T- i look into that.
8: Thank uh, you for the that. endorsement of the mayor of Ferguson.
5: That's See, I, I'll look into that. Thank you for that tip. Uh,
1: Thank you, Melissa. We'll definitely check that out. I appreciate you calling in. Okay. All right. Have a good night, Jesse. Okay. Uh, unmute yourself and let us know what's in your mind. hello hey jesse what's on your mind this evening
18: oh well um i'm a big fan uh you definitely helped make me feel not so alone out here um you and all the people and the call-in and everything thank you jesse
1: that's sweet
18: i just uh wanted i watched the show today and um basically yeah i wasn't really thrilled with uh kind of the like I, I was curious like what media like uh, she watches and uh, like where she's getting her news that she didn't know, know about some of the things that you were talking about
10: mm-hmm.
18: um, and basically it like just you talking to her mm-hmm. kind of felt like a lit a litmus test basically mm-hmm. where I could see okay this isn't really somebody to get super excited about mm-hmm. and I just appreciate you asking the questions that you did and like I mean, I definitely respect the idea that, you know, she she took it to heart and is going to think through things and everything. But uh, I just uh, I really appreciate the questions that you asked her.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you, Jesse. I I appreciate you appreciating it and I'm going to keep doing it. I don't know how you guys feel about these candidate interviews. You know, I feel an obligation to do them. I don't know how I can sit here and say left media matters and the candidates should care about left media if we're not willing to engage them when they're so desperate to get, you know, platforms and attention. So I understand that there's probably some sexier topics that people want to hear from and a lot of folks are completely over electoralism, but maybe one day we'll get the candidate that actually, you know, scratches that itch and answers the way that become in a way that becomes a model for everyone else. Maybe it'll be Michaela, if Efene. We'll see. But thank yeah, you so much for calling would, in, Jesse. I would
18: love to know what she thinks about the so, um dem- or the socialist alternative. Also, like, mm. w- what's her opinion? You know, like, what does she have to say about them? What does she have to say about? I mean, is she going to call out other progressives? Like,
1: yeah. I'm, well, we did I'm ask her that. that, and so you know, you heard a response. Yeah. You know, there was a certain unwillingness to engage in that front, but. You know, well, I, you. I think there is some question as to what people are, you know, th- you know I don't know. I I can't speak for her, but I, I do sense some constraint from having these relationships with folks. You know, they're all campaigning together in the burning down the House days. And I don't think that, that it's helping some of the people who are trying to get into Congress that they feel like they need to protect the ones that are already in. But I appreciate yeah. you calling in, Jesse. Yeah.
18: One time that you oh, mentioned. Oh, I'm
1: so, so, so sorry. I am so, so sorry. I I pressed next and then you started talking and I. I didn't mean to cut you off midstream. I apologize. Jessie. I'm just trying to get through some more callers before the end of the night. Uh, Tracy, can you unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind?
19: Yes. Hello, everyone. Um, and well, first, I just wanted to say because you wanted some feedback on the YouTube. I think it was pretty cool that we started on YouTube first. Oh, good. Uh, that's how I kind of got here. Um, and so to your and I didn't watch the whole interview with Amy. Mm -hmm. So thank you for posting a few of those clips because it was helpful to get a perspective. Um, And your question is, is did she make the case for electoralism? And I think the answer is hail to the no. Mm. And I think, and I really liked the conversation that um, was being had with Sylvester, because that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. I think it's very clear that the Democrats are not going to help us period. Mm. We've had, they've been in office enough time and I think we've had enough discussion in how they're not helping us and we need to refocus. And um, what the only thing I want to know is why they all changed their tune. And I do think it's serious. I think it is on some Malcolm X type shit. Mm. I don't think it's because, you know, they don't want to lose a seat or they don't want to, you know, lose out on a committee or something like that. You know, Mm -hmm. we got to look at what this government is and what this country is and the historical and current sinister stuff that they do. I feel like it's all on purpose. And that's what we really need to talk about. Um, You know, they're so powerful. Our government, these corporations you know all these different things and so I really appreciated the questions that you asked her Amy and I think that all the candidates who are running especially on the federal level must answer these questions and I don't get how she totally just what it, she appeared to not even understand everything that's clear to us with your line of questioning so how is she not paying attention to how they all left us and sold out on us as soon as they got an office. I don't know if their lives were threatened or their families' lives were threatened with, again, with that was being discussed before, but I think it's on that serious note because it is just strange to me that so many of them, it would make sense, maybe one or two, but a whole handful all sold out and on the sabby Sab show she made a really great point she said now any progressive that's trying to run they're putting in mad money to prevent it and so to me because before they didn't think that these folks would win and now that the democratic party sees that that it's actually possible now they're really putting in a lot of money per, to per, uh, for prevention and it's working So that's kind of most of how I feel, and I think we. I think the larger discussion needs to be had, which could be dangerous, but we got to go there. Everybody's suffering.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm with you, Tracy. I do think it's like this collective action problem. I don't want to be glib, or dismissive of real threats, whether they rise to the level of like actual physical threat or if it's something else that's you know really meaningful. Um, I heard a story recently um about a uh, an attorney uh, a corporate attorney who as part of a strategy when deposing someone uh basically got her employer to um offer his ex-wife a job in a different state that was really good for her career so that she would move with a kid as a kind of coercive threat like oh, to separate uh-huh. the family right <laughs> so i mean like certainly there's all kinds of pressures that it's, it's difficult for us to imagine that oh. certainly very purple people can exert and i um i think i mean and i'm not trying to be like funny but like i watched i watched the one with um frank underwood what's that one called house of cards i'm mean, gonna I watch house of cards i mean Nothing Nothing is new under the sun, <laughs> and as far as I'm, I'm concerned. The, lim- the human lim- imagination isn't as imaginative as real life.
19: <laughs> so, I know you love that show. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, so I appreciate you calling in, Tracy, and, and I, I'm, I'm with you. Nick, if any, as always, feel free to jump in whenever and wherever you feel like saying something. Let's go to Alex next. I don't recognize this avatar. Lots of cats, a lot of cat people in the chat. What's, what's on your mind,
3: yeah, Alex? Definitely cat people. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want to talk about electoralism, and I want to use Florida as an example, mm-hmm. which is bizarre, because obviously if you've been paying attention, pay attention to anything, Florida is a weird state. <laughs>
10: mm-hmm.
3: um, so um, I'm a professor, and I'm 35, and I live in a district in Florida that is blue, but the only other ones being Miami and other ones in South Florida. Mm. And um, I wanna advocate for ballot initiatives and uh, local politics being a big strategy for why people should vote mm. and have electoral strategy, though um, being more nuanced about who they vote for, for president. Um, so just as an example, At the university I work at, uh, there was a push for adjunct professors to unionize, and it was um, the president of the campus that legally hired uh, a team to union bust, and it worked. And they only got it stopped for the legal part of it uh, because some of the local um, elected officials who were Democrats and I don't vote for Democrats, I never have and I never will, but I, um, I'll talk about that in a second. But the, um, they were the only people who came to our defense, they came to our Board of Trustees meetings, they were people in high positions of power, had a lot of uh, influence over my city of Gainesville, and they, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of professors are neoliberal. Um, they will vote for Biden or Clinton, and they just, you know, they don't think basically about politics at all, because so they have privileged positions. Um, so it's, it's weird that, um, I advocate for, for places in Florida, like Florida, like states like Florida to, um, this has always been my strategy, uh, like the last 12 years or so to in the primary vote for, um, who you think would be a good democratic person potentially, and definitely of course, vote for who you would think would be a good, uh, independent or, uh, perhaps Democrat. Luckily, the Democrats here are actually pretty progressive, which is surprising for Florida. Um, and they're more neoliberal in Miami and South Florida. Uh, but switching, if you can, if your state allows it, um, to um, vote for third party. I always vote for Green Party since Nader um, and Stein and uh, Sawan If if I could, <laughs> those mm-hmm. are my kind of people. Mm-hmm. I would go to. Um, So I would advocate for if if your state allows it to switch that, and then, of course, do as much homework as you can about your local candidates, because um, at least in my city, a medium-sized city in Florida, um, they come to my historically segregated neighborhood, and they always come talk to us, even individually, and um, they're actually, like, doing good work here, and people don't know that narrative about uh, where I live, and especially about Florida, because it's always talked about as Republican or purple in some way, but I think that's shifting really quickly because of electoralism. Um, The only way that it's really shifting, honestly, though, is because of groups like Dream Defenders. Um, It's kind of like what Afini does, and um, they have not only advocated for prison reform, but they've actually ran local candidates and got them elected in Gainesville, and it's been really amazing to see because they're literally getting arrested um, and making sure that um, you know, they're working with the university a bit too, just because it is a college town. That's kind of the influence here. Um, but they are able to get so much done just being in the streets. And if a candidate doesn't have any tie to the streets whatsoever, you shouldn't fucking vote for them ever. Like seriously, mm-hmm. <laughs> if, 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 if your group's like Dream Defenders, um, and I highly recommend you trying to bring them on in some way because they need to get more press. They're, they're Miami-based, but they're throughout most of Florida. And they have a center here in Gainesville mm-hmm. as well um yeah so i would just advocate for anytime you're looking into voting for somebody making sure that they are anti-war first making sure that um groups like Vegan defenders do um agree with their politics and actually would support them because they often will come out and um that and yeah just making sure that your litmus test does include um anti-war stuff because that's always for me the controlling factor for not voting for a democrat in in a presidential election, because uh, like Tulsi Gabbard, for example, was, (laughs) I don't know what the fuck happened to her, but (laughs) um, she was at at first, at least, um, you know, the most anti-war candidate that ran in the Democratic Party for a while. Um, So, and then look what happened to her. So it's not even worth trying to go that route unless that person is like vehemently at war and will stick to it. And, you know, unfortunately she doesn't track now, but.
1: Well, thank um, you, Alex. I, I hear yeah. your recommendation read the Dream Defenders. I really enjoyed getting to know a lot of them. Um, we went down with the Bernie oh, yeah. campaign and got their endorsement. Uh, they were not an easy endorsement. They actually did care a lot about litmus test and I appreciate oh, how forceful they were when they met with Bernie and were really, you know, assertive in a way that I, you know, maybe respect them um, uh a great deal, and so thank you for singing their praises, and I would echo that, and I appreciate you calling in.
3: Alright, uh, thanks for it. Nice to meet you.
1: Same here. Okay. Alright. I'm looking through the things. Come on. I want... Can I tell you that I'm tempted? Like, I've been really wanting someone to bring Tucker back up, because I have this clip that I really want people to, to respond to, but I don't want to be the one that's, like, focusing too much on Tucker. <laughs> no, I <did> it. I <laughs> so did I've been it. waiting for There's someone else right. to bring it up, but you guys really... I'm sorry. No, I get it.
5: It was extremely frustrating, especially the bad faith attacks. So, no, no, not. No, I don't want
1: to talk about me. I want to talk about, like, I want people to understand because people tell me I'm not watching enough Tucker, but it's clearly to me that I'm watching way more than anybody else. Just can I, can you guys like humor me if I, I'm going to play it on 1.5 speed so it won't take that long, but like, this, this is what he has, is, this is how he talks. Like, this is what's going on there. And you have to understand how a, a huge swaths of the country are being primed as you get ready to communicate to huge swaths of the country and it's just it's just crazy to me that like people are acting people are misunderstanding me in part because they are in a liberal bubble and they don't understand that this is what the real world is like can can you guys hear me for just like a second with this okay just just a second just check, hear hear me out with this shit
20: ter carlson tonight believe it or not in 1980 which wasn't that long ago I'll speed it Venezuela up was the richest country in Latin America it had the highest wages it had the best health care and education It also had, by the standards of the region anyway, a famously stable democracy. Then came an energy crisis, and Venezuela wound up with inflation. We know where this is going, right? Inflation makes people poor, so in a very short time, the poverty rate in Venezuela doubled. By 1995, 66% of all Venezuelans were impoverished. Getting poor tends to make voters radical, so inevitably Venezuela got radical politics. You know what happened next. Venezuela is now rated one of the most miserable places on planet Earth. A few years ago, citizens in Caracas were reduced to eating zoo animals. There was no food. And for that matter, there was no electricity. So in just half a lifetime, an advanced society had reverted to the Stone Age.
1: So Venezuela bad because, you know, socialism and not at all because of sanctions or anything like that. We've heard this yeah. little dance, but I'm going to skip ahead a little bit because here's the, where the race comes in.
20: A long time before we have another Democratic president. Thankfully, Joe Biden has a plan, or at least a new publicist, a silver-tongued... Sorry, now we're talking about inflation. ...wordsmith slash policy guru called Corrine Jean-Pierre. It is Corrine Jean-Pierre's job to take this message of economic hope to the American people and save the Biden administration. She started Monday. Here were her first words from the podium.
21: I am obviously acutely aware uh, that my presence at this podium uh, represents a few firsts. Uh, I am a black, gay, immigrant woman, the first of all three of those to hold this position.
1: Sorry, this is an ad. This is an ad. Ignore this. This is an ad. I'm sorry. I'm going to skip it.
20: Okay. So that was a little confusing. It wasn't actually about America. It was about her. But still, we learned that Karine Jean-Pierre is a black lesbian. The first ever in history, she reminded us, to hold this particular job. Listen carefully. That shattering you hear in the background? It's a thousand glass ceilings cracking simultaneously into millions of tiny pieces and then being swept by the custodians of tomorrow into the trash bin of bigotry and hate. Soon they'll be trucked to a landfill and buried. It's a new day, America. How do you feel? You still can't afford to have your refrigerator fixed or go to the dentist. On the other hand, Corrine Jean-Pierre has good news for you about herself. Corrine Jean-Pierre has just reached a highly significant personal goal. And understandably, she's brimming with self-esteem. Congratulations, Corinne Jean-Pierre. Your promotion is America's promotion.
1: So, like, this is, this is, this is blowing my mind. Because there's, like, the whole left identity politics critique is not dissimilar from this. Right? Like, The whole idea that Hillary Clinton is going to shatter a ceiling and that's going to be a victory for women and we get more women in CEO rooms, that should be good enough for all of us, even though the average woman is still working a minimum wage, you know, the average minimum wage worker is like a 35 year old woman with a kid, like that should be enough, right? Like the left literally makes this critique. There's some valences to it when Tucker Carlson does it and, you know, there's some dog whistles and the repeating of her name and it gets worse from here. But like I was like, I don't think anybody has any notion that so much of what's built into here is some stuff. That's a legitimate critique mixed in with the rest. <laughs> and I don't know, I, I, Okay. Let me, let me just go a little bit more. By the way, the graphic on the screen is a picture of Korean Jean-Pierre with me, me, me. It's all about me written underneath her face.
20: Okay. Let's go a little bit longer. Hope it feels good. You're going to want to hold on to that sensation, the one you're now experiencing, and treasure it in the days ahead like a hand warmer as America becomes poorer than you ever imagined possible. And it is. As of tonight, parents across the country can't find baby formula.
1: So, so here's what he's going to do. The left would just leave the critique at, you know, obviously we need more things delivered for the American people, Democrats. What he basically does next is he, he, he basically blames diversity more concretely and directly for the deficits that exist With baby food, with the supply chain crisis, things, all of that. And like more pointedly blames the idea of diversity as opposed to the weaponization of identity.
20: Here we go. Oh, no big deal. Well, it is actually a big deal because as a result of that, several children have just been hospitalized in the state of Tennessee. Fertilizer prices, meanwhile, have hit record highs. That will mean food shortages around the world. Famine in some places, starvation. It'll mean shortages here. Food inflation, Bloomberg reports, will, quote, leave no household unscathed. And then gas prices also just hit an all-time high. They're not going down. Mike Jennings, the CEO at a major refiner, says gas prices will stay high for the foreseeable future. Quote, I don't see any signs of it ending soon or well. And that's true of inflation across every major sector of this economy. Axios reporting tonight that, quote, inflation is pushing prices higher and higher. And some of those costs may never come back down to the levels Americans were accustomed to before the pandemic. More than half the CEOs in this country publicly predict that recession is imminent. That's what they're saying in public. Imagine what they're saying in private. Morgan Stanley says there's a 27 percent chance we get a recession in the next 12 months. That's up from 5 percent just two months ago. So that's scary. But the scariest fact of all, we appear to be running out of energy. Congress never passed the Green New Deal, but we somehow got it anyway. And here are the results. According to the Wall Street Journal, quote, from California to Texas. Tech- that's that's insane. But OK, this to Indiana. Electric grid operators are warning that power generating capacity is struggling to keep up with demand. That gap could lead to rolling blackouts during heat waves or other peak periods as soon as this year. In other words, turn on your air conditioning in August and it won't work. And neither will your lights. The Midcontinent Independent System Operator, which oversees the energy grid in the Midwest, says it's preparing to, quote, take emergency measures in advance of capacity issues this summer. In other words, no more electricity. The North American Electric Reliability Corporation, which oversees energy output in the country, released an assessment this year saying the entire Western U.S. is, quote, at risk of energy emergencies due to the limited supply of electricity available for transfer. So this has never happened. It's happening now. Why? Why is this happening? Well, according to the Wall Street Journal, quote, the challenge is that wind and solar farms, which are among the cheapest forms of power generation, don't produce electricity at all times and need large batteries to store their output for later use.
1: So I'm going to skip some of this environmental stuff, but he does the same thing with the environment as he does the race. He identifies a real problem, says the the, the cause is something that has not happened, which is the Green New Deal. Effectively vilifying the thing that we actually need and would be good to solve some of these issues and also placing the blame along partisan lines in a way that completely disguises some of the geopolitical reasons that were in this uh, conflict, not to mention the supply chain crisis. But I want to show you how he brings it back around to somehow uh, Karine Jean-Pierre, who, you know, I'm no fan
20: of, but here we go.
1: All, all of the things are <laughs> laid at the feet of
20: the innovation by 2045 that make that possible. If we don't, California will have even less power than it does now. You didn't think growing up in this country there would come a time when they couldn't keep the lights on. Now that time is here. That's shocking. But if you're upset about it, we'd like you to pause and return your attention to the fact. And we're going to say this slowly so we can sink in. Our new White House press secretary is a black lesbian. Did you know that toilet paper (gasps) has been proven to be un... Sorry about the ad. Toilet paper, blah, blah, blah.
1: It's unhygienic by this
20: It's awful for the earth. Okay. Hooray! The White House Press Corps was duly impressed, tamed, in fact, which was the point of telling them that. But our Peter Ducey did have one question. What is the Biden administration doing about our collapsing economy? And how exactly is the plan to increase taxes on American citizens going to help them pay for things? Here's how Corrine Jean-Pierre responded. How does raising taxes on corporations reduce inflation? Um, So,
21: are you talking about a specific tweet?
20: He tweeted, you want to bring down inflation, let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share.
21: Look, you know, we have talked about, um, we have talked about this this past year, uh, about uh, making sure that the wealthiest among us are paying their fair share.
20: But how does raising taxes on corporations lower the cost of gas, the cost of a used car, the cost of food for everyday Americans?
21: So look, I think we encourage those who have done very well, right, especially those who care about climate change, uh, to support a fair tax code that doesn't change, that doesn't charge manufacturers, workers, cops, builders, a higher percentage of their their earnings that the most fortunate people in our nation
1: and not so you guys have probably heard people make fun of this answer it wasn't a good answer it wasn't actually responsive to the question and democrats have really hemstrung themselves from answering this question honestly because they also buy into the spending causes inflation rhetoric and don't talk about any of the supply chain failures or any of the corporate greed issues really in any substantive way i won't bore you with the rest of it but then i will say that he ends with this with basically a supercut of kareem calling trump racist and says that basically this is all they have. The only response they can have that's, that makes any sense to them is to accuse the right of racism, 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 racism. Which
21: birtherism is inherently racist. By the way, is a racist and a bigot which we already knew. If it walks like a racist, talks like a racist, acts like a racist, it is a racist. And we saw all these awful voter suppression laws, yeah. which is really racism just yeah. across the country. And we have a racist president in the White House who really pushes his racism like a peacock. Because I'll say this, we knew Donald Trump was a racist. I wanted to ask you, just uh, change the topic for just a quick second, about Donald Trump's uh, racist tweets. the Systemic racism and how That has affected our country. Okay, there's like another minute of that, and that's that's how it goes. And I'm sorry, I'm
1: studying these because one, I think it's fascinating. Two, I think there's a left version of this, right? Like, if to the extent that this delivery mechanism is effective, the idea that you tee up the problems, lay them at the feet of a bad actor, who in our case would be a truthful, legitimate bad actor, not you know. Black lesbian women, or kind of irritating identity po- politics scolds, but like really the you know the, the the people who have power and authority in this country, and then tee up all of the false excuses that are given by the right, and demonstrate why those excuses are undermined by the fact that the people who are making them stand to benefit from the system as it is. That's that's like a lo- it's a genius format. It's a, it's a great format, but I also think it's important to know how that format is being deployed against us and like it or not. And I want to know what you, Nick, and Afini, have to say about this, you like, you can go ahead and call people, rights So I, I do it and depending on the context and depending on who I'm talking to and depending on what my goal is, but you have to understand, like. There is a significant percentage of the population that he has been priming to completely ignore when anybody makes that claim because they think it's been made in bad faith. It's like the boy who quite uh, cried white supremacist. And the feeling is that people said it too many times in too many contexts, so now that it's lost meaning. And I think there is some truth to that, that it's been overused, even though it varies accurately, is obviously very accurately used often. What, what, what do you guys make of, of this clip? Is this, is this only interesting to me? <laughs>
5: No, I, it's funny that you've been, been binge-watching Tucker because I've been telling my audience at RB and I've been doing the same recently because mm. I've, been, I've, been, I've as a commentator, I've been trying to do a better job at presenting all the arguments. So I wa- I've been watching a lot more corporate media recently just so I can see what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And I'll Tucker Carlson, the most rated cable news host of all time. So mm-hmm. I just, I've been checking out his clips on YouTube. And I must say, I am deeply unimpressed, <laughs> but what he does, what he does is very masterful he won the best propagandist because Democrats leave the giant opening for him, and that's what I was mentioning earlier when, regarding like white comfort, where they try to blame Tucker Carlson uh, for all the issues that they have. Like they leaving the lane open for him to mock identity politics the way that we have I, on RBN. I talk about the bastardization of identity politics by Black liberals and the establishment that hides behind them, and people always wonder why I call them out. Because what they're doing is actively harmful to our community because they actually destroy what it really means to have class consciousness and and what the true message of identity politics, which is a uniter. And what they do, they're like, oh, we got a black woman in in a powerful position, even though she's going to be imperialist, that means we won, even though Mm -hmm. black wealth is continued to sink. So they actually, through their horrific messaging, hurt our community because they allow a fake populist I tell Carlson to call them out for their hypocrisy.
10: Mm-hmm. And
5: uh, some people who are not as politically well-versed, I can see why they fall for it. Mm-hmm. I can see the techniques that he does. It's really effective because, as I mentioned, Democrats left this giant lane open uh, because they bastardized Danny Parches. While listening to that segment, he's nailing her. He's, nail- he's nailing their hypocrisy but it doesn't mean he's a good faith actor. No, Does and I also think...
1: he – he like she answered a question poorly. I think that what they do, they will find an example of someone on the opposite side doing something bad, giving a messy answer, not knowing something. You know, like everyone makes mistakes. The Democrats – I mean like I, I feel like we don't – people on the left don't make those kinds of arguments. I mean we'll do like a mocking like Sam Cedar style snide – segment about how oh this conservative doesn't understand basic history or whatever like we do stuff like that but like taking news clips and like using those clips to make an argument about how you shouldn't trust somebody you know taking wrong Ron DeSantis and showing some clip of him, like not responding to the housing crisis in Florida or not, or are or, or fighting against the $15 minimum wage ballot initiative or like things like that. And then saying what he really wants you to focus on is this, and then show him talking CRT nonsense and, you know, vilifying, you know, some trans athlete or whatever. Like that, that to me is a kind of juxtaposition that I think is powerful because you are undermining someone's authority, showing how they're trying to mislead you and then redirecting them. And I, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't want to undersell how effective that is.
5: Yeah, and I saw a segment, and, and we can get Finny here here soon, because, and you alluded, alluded to this as well, that when he was talking about the baby formula uh, shortage, and then he shifted that, and then he started talking about trans people, and then he was like, this is the problem, and that's mm-hmm. dangerous, because the felons of our society, he is taking and then using it to fuel a culture war. It's very insane how he's able to pull this off but that's because he only able to pull this off because the Democrats are corporatists who do not have a working class matches. they are filled with hypocrisies that allow Tucker Carlson to Mm -hmm. be the kind of propaganda he is which is why we've been asking people to confront what this really means that Tucker Carlson even has the highest rated tv show like what what does that even say more Democrats watch Tucker than watch CNN and MSNBC so, like, what does that mean? It's because this political culture that you guys created is toxic, and mm-hmm. um, I want I want to get Afeni in, and I'll pass it back to you, Bri.
6: Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say, yeah, I I've watched Tucker Carlson clips. Like, I I'm very intrigued by the way he like messages, like his you know ideas, um, and it's because the Democrats suck at messaging, like the Democrats and I think it's very much on purpose that they suck in messaging so bad because it very it serves their interests for Republicans to continue to do all the things that they do because financially and fiscally no matter what happens they're going to be good um so watching Tucker Carlson and watching the ways in which he can really just number one like Yes, be racist, but really evade like that naked racism mm-hmm. um, that so many people you know accuse him of and when that's and I think that's the reason why so many people that watch him you know that's that's the reason why they just dismiss it out of hand is because instead of actually talking about you know the, substant- the substantive issues with racism, the substantive issues with white supremacy and the ways that it shows up because they don't want to dismantle institutions that keep them comfortable. So instead of discussing those things, they continuously focus on the, culture- the, the cultural stuff. They continue to focus on the identity stuff to a point where it makes it dangerous for you know Black queer people that are looking for protection in this country because we start to have that conversation and it automatically gets dismissed out of hand. Trans kids are in danger in Florida, but because, you know, the Democrats suck so bad at actually messaging, there are going to be instead of trans kids, there's going to be a bunch of dead kids in Florida because that's just that's just where we're headed. And it's a very scary place where somebody like Tucker Carlson can be the highest, the highest rated, the most watched show in America. And people don't point to the systematic reasons of why that's happening. Um, that's how I know there's no real left-right discourse. It's just a bunch of people who are, you know, working together, about, uh, you know, uh, for the same goal. And that's the reason why Tucker Carlson can do the things that he's able to do is because he's enabled by, you know, the intentional mediocrity of the left. Um, so... It's it's very it's very upsetting to see, um, and it's and you know people are probably gonna fucking hear this and like fucking say whatever the hell they're gonna say to me about it, but it's the truth. The truth is is that unless we hold ourselves accountable to actually combating this messaging in a real way and combating it with you know, substantive polities, real, real explanations about stuff or messaging that actually combats that like on the same level of aggression. Like if we're not actually going to start doing that, then we're going to continue to see Tucker Carlson's influence grow, his audience grow. And we're also going to continue to see the radicalization of more of these, you know, junior white supremacists who are growing up in the American culture that says that their ideology is okay.
1: Yeah, I, as I'm listening to you, I was scrolling the timeline and I see Purdue on Abrams, on uh, Stacey Abrams saying, she's not from here. My inclination is to say, you don't like it, go back to where you came from. Okay, go back to where you came from is Purdue on Abrams. Mehdi Hassan, my former colleague, and I would argue, probably the best voice on mainstream news, quote tweets it and says, racism, pure and simple, disg- disgusting and unforgivable. Lots of likes and quote tweets and, and retweets on this. Okay. You, I, all of us understand what the valence of someone sa- saying, go back to where you came from is. We all get it. We all know that trope. It is also true that I believe Stacey Abrams was born in Mississippi. I remember covering this last time she ran. Like it's not, it's not Georgia. Now she's lived in Georgia like most of her life. But there were some carpetbagger accusations being made by that other Stacey, Stacey Evans, that she was running against back in 2018. Now. My my perception is that as much as me and Maddie sitting around the coffee table would roll our eyes and say, look at this racist prick and nod and agree that state like these kinds of moments are what make the real the the queen's pierre real at the end of that tucker clip where there's a plausible deniability this is not me again arguing that this is that purdue is not racist but the plausible deniability of, i'm talking about the fact that she's not from georgia to democrats everything is racism like i see this and i think that Medi is coming from a good place i think that everybody who's calling this racism is doing so because they are supportive of black women and they don't like people implying that a black person can never really belong in this country, which is of course the dog whistle and the implication. But I see stuff like this and I think to myself, I'm going to have to undo this. Like this, this existing is going to make it much, much harder for me to credibly accuse something that's, that's more obviously racist of racism. And I could very easily say, Purdue is messing up here. This is inappropriate for him to say about Stacey Abrams, who has lived in the state for X number of years and is committed to the people of Georgia. Why can't he focus on the issues? I could easily say that and probably get a better response from a lot of people who are actually voting in the state of Georgia. And maybe I'm wrong. You can very much disagree with me on that. You can very much think that it is important every single time there is even a little bit of racism in any statement. One must use the capital R racism word. But I got to tell you, I'm noticing I'm, I'm I'm struggling to articulate it. And it's part of what my project is, but I am seeing I, this feels like a finger trap. It feels like we are pulling and pulling and making it more difficult for ourselves in the longer term. And we're just like in quicksand and we, we we cannot see it. Our self, our self-righteousness about calling things out is 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 burying us and we cannot see it. I want to give both of you guys a chance to respond. And I'm also going to bring up another caller while you do.
5: Yeah, I I I see what you're saying. I think it's just a lack of strategy. Um, a lot of people are distracted because uh, the media want us to, um, like, have these little petty squabbles instead of actually punching up. That's what I mostly focus on. Um, I obviously call out racism when I see it, but it's like we got to focus on we're actually going to increase worker power. We're actually going to uh, create change. And, like, bourgeoisie politicians having a spat over race does what for us? So i don't have much to add other than that. But, yeah, it's it's. I think you're, like, uh, attacking the strategy. And if you look at the state of the working class and the left right now, I think that's valid because a lot of the people who are on the top, they're leading us off a cliff uh, because they rather engage in uh, – and, and their supporters rather engage in all out culture that just make them feel good instead of actually forming coalitions. Uh, a lot of people got upset with me because I had the audacity of saying that I, I don't mind marching with someone for, America for all, Even if I disagree with them and they're conservative, a lot of people – like scoff at the idea. Um and I think we gotta push back against that. I think that's the primary message that you are getting that, but uh I'll pass it to Finney.
6: Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, me personally I, I'm very open about the fact that anti racism is a non negotiable for me, period. <laughs> um, but other than that, like I really have no issue marching people like marching people, organizing people that I don't that I don't fully agree with. Um but, you know, this this is all very very purposeful um and especially the people that you're talking about that are on top um a lot of them you know would rather condescend and pretend like they know all the answers and some of them would rather do interviews on complex and with rolling stone and buy Porsches than actually do real organizing um (laughs) so Mm -hmm. you know they want to shame real organizers for doing the work and we have to kind of figure out how to combat that. And I feel like even uh, Christian Smalls and the AOU showed us that if people organize, then we can win. Um, Even the Starbucks, even with the Starbucks uh, unionization that's happening nationally, again, if people organize, they can win. And that's where our power is. Um, And it's really just about proving these people wrong, even if they don't want to hold themselves accountable. I think that, you know, Even myself, being somebody who, uh, you know, was a TYT member, um, I've been a part of a lot of different Patreons, a lot of different, you know, quote unquote, left media shows. Um, And, you know, it's a tough pill to swallow to know that some of the people that helped you, you know, as a gateway to get to the point where you are now, you had to leave them behind ideologically because they are they're still so attached to their comfortability. and we we really don't have time for that like our american citizens don't have time for that the working poor don't have time for that working class and and the barely middle class as nina turner fucking calls them mm-hmm. they don't have time for that shit either um so we have to come up with urgent solutions um and be creative about it and put the courage towards building and fighting for the better world that we want like that's i know that's like it's probably really shitty to hear but like we have to save ourselves like we really do especially in the in the richest most propagandized empire in the world we have to save ourselves because nobody on the top of this empire that is benefiting from it even people that have proximity or access to the top of this that are benefiting from that access they are not going to help us they're not going to save us and yeah like we we really have to fight for ourselves period mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah Dra- Draken or Dracen? Tell me how to pronounce your name, and unmute yourself. It's
7: Dracen. Dracen.
1: Dracen. Nice, nice to yeah. have you here. What's on your mind?
7: Same to you. So, so much of our conversation, I um, always follow you. I think I heard heard about you from the Current Hunter show, mm. and that was probably one of the best interviews I've heard because you was willing to. I think so much of the left is timid in how we go at certain people or certain policies. And even as I listen to, you know, I listen to you and Crystal Ball and Cal Kalinske, and it seems like we we don't lead the way. We sort of react to what the right, like the far right says or does. Mm-hmm. And I think we're in a moment where like what the policies that we subscribe to are the solution, and even as I listen to this conversation, it's you know I'm from a small town in Kentucky. I ran for local office in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and I don't know anyone who will listen to this conversation and and sort of buy into it because it's so academic mm-hmm. sometimes where it's like the solutions are simple. Like we say Medicare for all because that is like the simp it, it 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 is a simple solution to your problem. And I think sometimes we over like academicize this problem, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And it's Jason like, said,
1: you know, Log off, Queen <laughs>
7: You, no, I like I love what you do, but I think like in a place like Kentucky, it's like, and I love Nina Turner. One of the reasons why I ran for local office was because of Nina Turner. But mm-hmm. then sometimes it's like when I listen to her now, it's like, no, you have to separate yourself from the Democratic Party in most place. I know in in a place like Kentucky, it's like you get votes for calling out the Democratic Party, and mm-hmm you have to separate yourself and sometimes i like even with your last interview i sort of cringe because it's like who do you want like are you willing to give up your like yourself to be elected so much of like if if you are not willing to call out like this them by name nancy pelosi or joe biden by name when you're campaigning, there's no reason to expect that you're going to do it when you get elected in. And I love Nina Turner, but in this last election, it was like we were sort of like tiptoeing around, like calling out these people. And at one point, it seems like as someone who subscribes to leftist policies, you just, winning does not have to be the only Winning is not the end goal necessarily. It's like, mm. are you convincing enough people that Medicare for All is the way, that a federal mm. job guarantee is the way? And I think sometimes, even with the Turner, it seems like winning was the end goal mm. versus like convincing enough people that Medicare for All is the way, that mm. j- federal job guarantee is the way. Does that make sense?
1: No, I think that's a really... Good point for two reasons one I think there's a credibility you know there's a credibility issue that happens when it seems like it's for your own personal aggrandizement as opposed to the underlying policies and I think there's a real rhetorical benefit that comes from being like I'm here running on these issues it's not about me you know Bernie it's not me it's us but the other thing is I think that it one Bernie's another good example of saying the same thing for forty years and having this kind of broader political agenda outside of a presidential context but when you look at what the right has done also they've been on this tip for like 50 years like i bring it up on the show all the time and hopefully i can convince my favorite law professor to come and just actually give us a deeper historical story here but you know in the 1960s 70s they looked around and they were like oh shit like we're losing all of these wars we're losing the culture war first it's it's women's rights and then civil rights and then like feminism and then gay rights. And like, we can't have this happening. All these kids are going to college and it's like largely free and they're getting radicalized and black Panthers are out here and the courthouse in California. we got to nip this in the bud. And at that time, the Powell memo written by soon to be Supreme court justice, Lewis Powell set out an agenda for how the Republicans were going to take over the country. And it was like a 50 year game plan. And one of the points on there was, Take over the media, start an independent, like start a, a separate right wing media and, and exploit this newfound like cable news phenomenon. Obviously that worked out just grand, but it took time, right? Like it took time for them to do that. Like, one of the points was take over the Supreme Court, start an organization to start a feeder program of ideologically programmed folks up through the court system. Like this was not something that happened by accident. And I think that when you are focused on the broader ideology, as opposed to on the goals, you get us to a place where now all of us are waking up and looking around like holy shit. How did all these people come to believe this stuff? how did this happen? And it seems like such an uphill battle and we got to undo all this programming. Well, it's because they were focused on convincing people of like some ideological principles in the longer term, even when they understood they weren't going to be winning elections at the highest level or even having control of the Supreme Court or whatever.
7: Right, I agree. And what's interesting is like in Kentucky, it's between Charles Booker, who says he's progressive, and Rand Paul, And so, honestly, right now, I'm saying, you know, I'm going to vote for Rand Paul because at least, you know, at least he was willing to say, I'm not, I'm going to question the Democrats sending 40, what, $40 billion Mm -hmm. to Ukraine versus like a progressive in Charles Booker who sort of stands on nothing, but, you know, he says he's for Medicare for all, but all these all these other things, but Rand Paul is willing to go against even his own party right now in the the Senate, I believe, Mm -hmm. and say, you know, I'm going to hold up this bill and say I'm against sending $40 billion and that's against the Republicans and the Democrats. And so that's my whole thing right now. It's like, I feel like we spend so much time on the squad when right now, I mean, why are we wasting so much time on trying to hold them accountable when they are just, an, I mean, a part of the Democratic Party? So it, it sort of seems like like I'm not good at what I, I'm sort of allergic to wasting time in my own personal life, especially. Mm-hmm. And then as I think about like political, it's like we're wasting time. Like they. What are, are you a like an Aries? Party. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm can I'm a Cancer. <laughs>
1: Are you really?
7: I am a cancer. I'm I have like to whole chart so much. Like I, mm. I love how you went at Karen Hunter. Like, obviously, I don't ascribe to a lot of what Karen Hunter said, but I love how you did not back down, and I think that's when I started to, even in my own, like when I started to, I ran for office in this little local race, like a really small town, and it was like, don't back down, mm. and. That's when I started to see, like, a lot of politicians differently. It was like uh, so many of them were, like, backing down. Their, they weren't willing to, you know, call a spade a spade. And I lost a lot of respect for a lot of them, whether it be Bernie, someone who I really respected, Nina Turner, someone I really respected, even AOC. A lot of them seem like they're just influencers to me now. But it's like, you, know, you if this moment is what you say it is, where we are losing democracy, quote unquote, then you have to choose a side and that is, and you're going to choose it because it's the right thing to do and you're not concerned with necessarily getting reelected. You're not concerned with getting, with uh, being a part of Nancy Pelosi's crowd and all of them. It's because you are choosing the right thing to do in this moment. And if they're not choosing the right way versus, even versus like, based on what they say, like we're losing democracy, then it's like you, we move you to the side and we focus on a new project. And that is convincing enough people that capitalism is not the way, that the democratic party is not the way, we've gotta be willing to, to lose a few races, whether that means Donald Trump is elected, that it is what it is. And then we move forward from there. But right now I feel like we, so much time, just wasting it on talking, trying to hold uh, you know AOC accountable or Rashida she to leave? It's like no, they're gone. They are part of the Democratic Party. Let's move. Figure out how to move forward. If this is someone from a place like Kentucky,
1: mm-hmm. well, I want to say thank you so much for throwing your hat in the ring and getting involved in that way. Um, I think folks who are frustrated about electoral politics still have a lot of confidence in more local politics. So, um, thank you for putting your money where your mouth is. And I think that you make a really solid point about being perceived, you know, sticking to your guns. I think a lot of folks used to say about Bernie, I don't necessarily agree with him, but I think that he thinks his agenda is what's best for the country. I believe that he believes in him and that makes people really like him, even if they disagree, you know, and I think some of his best moments were, you know, that debate moment where the small business owner was like, I have a hair salon and I can't hire more people if I have to pay them a minimum wage. And he's like, respectfully, if you can't pay people a minimum wage, I don't think you should have a business. And I was like, oh, you know, the meme. (laughs) And
7: I feel like everyone should go and watch your interview with Karen Hunter. Like, I think that's how you go about it. Like, stop being scared. Like, stop acting like you don't know what the solutions are. Like, just go at it.
1: And that's it. Well, I appreciate that. I, so I will say I was proud of that interview. <laughs> I, I enjoy. I mean, it was, you know, a little stressful, but I enjoyed that process. And I am probably prouder th- of that interview than I am of almost any other interview that I've done, because I do think it teed up all of the issues between um, neoliberalism and the left, especially through a black lens. Better than any other conversation I've ever had, uh, and I also—it's you can Google it. It's on YouTube. Google Brianna Gray Karen Hunter. She has a very popular show where people aren't familiar on Sirius FM with a huge audience. And thank you so much for listening, and thank you for coming on over and listening to me on my stage. Once you once you heard that, I, I really do appreciate you. Thank you. Shout
7: Let's
1: out to take Nick and opinion. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. You two should feel free to weigh in.
5: Yeah, there was a lot of, there are so many good stuff uh, the last speaker was saying. Now, the, uh, I remember the very first thing he said is um, there's some people in the South and working class who are turned off if you're like too academic. And I 100% agree. Like whenever you guys see me on my Twitter timeline, social media, or on Revolutionary Blackout, I'm kind of flexing. <laughs> right? I'm, I also kind of uh, introduced like, shock to people I was trying to provoke thought. But when I canvass with people, I, I like, like, I, I'm very proud to say I'm very effective at that. <laughs> and um, that's how I got started. And I would literally talk to people, and I open this almost the same way every time. I'm like, what, what, do you, what do you think the government is not doing for you? What is your biggest complaint with government? Mm-hmm. I opened with that question. That question got people talking, especially in the South where a lot, and I was canvassing in uh, strongly black areas, you you no one a lot of people wasn't used to having people ask them that question, and I was speaking to a lot of older black people where they're like, my healthcare costs
19: is too high, mm-hmm.
5: housing costs is getting too high. South Carolina they had horrible internet and Bernie had a good internet plan. That was a that was a very common tactic I used,
10: mm-hmm. to get
5: and I bring that up and they it was like every time they were like, oh I'll, they would at least say I look into Bernie, right? So like. You you gotta be able to speak to people and and when I talk to some people if I if I engage down on the left I might flex on them and start quoting Marx and Lenin but I don't do that with I'm not gonna quote Lenin talking to a seventy year old black guy in South Carolina that's not mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. the right strategy um there's another good point he had but before I get to that uh, do Finny you want do you want anything Cause I that I'm get I, I got a lot to say <laughs> regarding like like how progressives speak and a lot of people are tired of that but before I do that. I want to get
6: Finn here because I can
5: rant for quite a while.
6: Oh, absolutely! I mean, I just, I completely agree. I think people are tired of hearing, you know, language that they don't necessarily uh, relate to. Um, you know, I grew up in, a, I grew up in a neighborhood where a lot of the things that people were saying to me, like culturally, we just really didn't understand like each other. So. I definitely think it's important to meet people where they're at. And even on the campaign that I work on, um, we have Republican support um, because, you know, Maryland is a purple state and a lot of our district is in rural southern Southern Maryland. Um, so there are Republicans that, you know, talk to us about the economic issues, especially because, you know, in certain parts of our district, people don't even have indoor plumbing. So, mm. like, people aren't really worried about, you know left versus right or whatever, they, they know for a fact they don't have indoor plumbing. They know for a fact they don't have access to broadband. They know for a fact that Southern Maryland Hospital is the only hospital around. And some, for some people, that's 30 miles away. And they can't afford the ambulance ride. And they, may not, they might not have the gas for it because gas prices are fucking astronomical. And so people really care about the issues, um, regardless of what your political affiliation is. Working class people, especially, especially the working poor, want to know what you can do for them to improve their lives um, in an immediate way. Um, And, you know, I feel like one thing that a lot of people don't do is really try to build those coalitions on the local level. I mean, like, local officials anyway. Just in my experience working in PG County, Maryland, and Charles County, Maryland, like, I've seen a lot of, like, separation um, amongst the the county leadership, um, I've seen that a lot of the uh, it's much like a m- much like how the Republican and the Democratic Party are, except you know most of them are Democrats, and the only thing that they all agree on is making sure that private developers get more contracts <laughs> in PG County. They don't really care about opening more schools or ex- or expanding um, a public transportation, um, and these are the things that people really care about. So I feel like. You know, the left, if they actually focused on the economic issues, if they actually focused on um, talking about the substantive issues, that the substantive problems with race in this country and not just focusing on the marginal uh, cultural issues, not just focusing on, like, you know, the, I'm sorry, but somewhat meaningless civil rights legislation, um, but real substantive economic policy that can change people's lives, that they can feel um, pretty much immediately, and we saw from the stimulus checks that they can do that they they have the ability to help us urgently and immediately um, so those are the things that not only us as a populace need, need to be pushing for, but also every single progressive that try, that is campaigning right now needs to be pushing uh, needs to be pushing and running on you know urgent policy that working poor people especially can benefit from. Yeah.
1: Right on, right on, 100%. I want to let Brian, who's been very patient at the front of this line for a while, weigh in. Unmute yourself and speak your truth, Brian.
22: Dang, Brie, thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's of very course. meaningful. I thought you were going to pass up my cat. and <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, never
1: brian never not uh, this cat
22: <laughs> well i appreciate it i appreciate it. hey i know what i i've been waiting to ask about this for a minute i, I want to stay true to this question i've been having though i really do appreciate the discussion um of tucker and the tactics and and all of that so um, i'm grateful that you you know created the space that now i'm going to try to pivot to an episode and that's a question from two episodes ago is that cool sure Okay, so just really quickly, um, you and Irami a little while back, um, yeah, like I think two episodes ago, were chatting, and the SAT came up. And uh, do you remember this at all? I think it's like at the twenty-two minute mark. I tried to write it down Um, vaguely. Okay, but no, no, no. I just, um, you know, as a teacher, you know, up here, um, I think you also said, you know, you maybe got teachers in your family. But you know any we can talk about the SAT uh I was excited maybe y'all were going to chat about that a little bit more but um you know um you know neoliberalism is kind of you know encroaching everywhere education specifically and um I was really hoping that SAT would go away and and not come back but it seems like it's going to actually survive covid um you know while so many you know, did not. But, um, I think there is a leftist critique there, you know, with, uh, you know, about that standardized test, obviously our whole education system, but, um, uh, Ooh, I was on the edge of my seat. I thought maybe y'all would go there, but, uh, you know, at some point that could be a, uh, an interesting critique. And honestly, seriously, that is all I was going to ask, except one more thing, one more thing. Sure. And that is, uh, if the SAT were divided into like deep space, nine TNG Voyager, the original series, what do you think? What do you think your score would be out of 1600 if you had to sit and take that exam for 3.5 hours?
1: So what are you saying? Like the verbal section is TNG and the math is like D space 9 or something?
22: Yeah, I'm just I'm just arbitrarily selecting, you know, uh, topics and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a three and a half hour test on it.
1: I mean, there's only two sections of the SAT and there are like... What eight or nine Star Treks now? I mean, yeah. if you count the cartoon, if you count, there's like two or two on the air right now, three on the air right now. <laughs> so you got to be yep. specific. I don't know. Like, I don't watch some of them. I haven't seen like hardly any Picard. I don't really. I watched like one season of Discovery, so I will do very badly. <laughs> yeah,
22: stuff. Yeah, I, I don't think I fare very well either. Um, but nonetheless, okay. Hey, I just. Wanna... I mean,
1: but I mean, the real answer to the question is that I'm sorry. I studied and did SAT prep and had yeah. uh, was ben- yeah. had the benefit of having a parent who could afford for me to have tutoring. And so I would do very well because it's all about being able to pay for tutoring <laughs> and very little about natural ability. And plus I love Star Trek. And so I would be happy to study for all of those things.
22: What, yeah, what a joy <laughs> it would be to take that test. All right. Hey, I just want to say, I appreciate you all. Uh, thanks so much. Take care of yourselves. And yeah, uh, we'll catch you next time. You.
1: Thank you, Brian. Um, we are coming to the end of our time. Oh, and I, and I agree. We should have a conversation. I mean, obviously the arguments about the SAT are on one side it's culturally circumscribed. Like I said, it's so much of it is about being able to prep for it and whether or not your school is good in a way that naturally preps you for in terms of writing skills and stuff like that vocabulary, so much that you get from your parents and it's, it's all like built in socioeconomic stuff, but it also is a great leveler for people who don't have the advantage of, you know, piano lessons and trips to Europe and all these other things that make your resume look good. Um, So it cuts both ways. I know people, you know, immigrant, you know, Chinese American friend who was able to test into the best magnet school in New York and, you know, got perfect test scores and was able to go to great schools, even though his parents, you know, met at a Chinese restaurant and were postal workers, you know, like it can cut all the different ways. Uh, And it's worth having a conversation about. Okay. Who is going to be the probably last caller? I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling like who is giving me vibes? How about you, Kelly? Let's hear from you, Kelly. Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind.
8: Kevin muted? Can you, you hear me?
1: Are unmuted. I can hear you. Bring okay. us home, Kelly. Okay.
8: Great. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm the closer. Um. uh, First of all, great to meet you, um, Bree. Kelly, you are
1: cutting uh, in and out. I don't know what that's about.
8: Uh oh.
15: Uh oh. Um, we have a rainstorm here. I'm in North Carolina. Um, hopefully that won't interfere. Oh, no, it
1: almost feels like it's like so regular on off on off, almost like you're pressing huh. the mute button or something. Mm,
19: no, I'm unmuted and I'm
8: on. I'm. I've got a good signal. Kelly, me know.
1: You're...
15: I mean you're breaking my heart is
1: is this happening for everyone else like she's like two seconds on two seconds off
5: yeah breaking up a little bit I, I
1: yeah
8: hit. crap i don't know what to do oh I kill your kill
1: signal kill ah. you're killing me here I, what i think you should I'm do go ahead sorry. and write your question in the chat i will okay. read it and i will well if i see you in the the episode on thursday i'll be sure to bring you up to talk i know that must be okay. frustrating oh Oh, um,
8: yeah i'll try to come back on. So I'm sorry Kelly <laughs> we're not gonna sorry, to we're going to be able to write it's... your
1: question in the chat and i'll and i 'll read it okay, um, thank michael you so d much. let's try you with your hilarious avatar bring up bring us home, unmute yourself, and tell us what 's on your mind.
23: Hi Brianna Wow that's wow, okay so excited <laughs> to be here. Uh, really love the show so much um, thank you okay um bringing it home. So yeah, as a free listener, I think like really the last six main episodes um, with like the Kashama Sawan and the bipartisan landscape conversations, like mm-hmm. they, they just really, it's like needing to be required viewing for me. Um, I, I think it sort of speaks really uh, and, and not to redirect from a lot of the more recent conversation about Tucker, um, in the last hour or so, but even sort of when we 're talking about like substantive strategies, whether through a third party or just through general like mid to long game strategies for left politics, like I think you sort of are right on the beat of what and how we need to be asking ourselves questions, just sort of from a general like worker voter lens um, so really, just thank you so much um,
8: thank you I,
23: to jump back though I think um sort of getting back to even kind of some of the questions at the end of the youtube part of the stream with like um i think sean and the other SA member and jabari about the ford party um Mm -hmm. i am very much sort of waiting i think to get a more substantive platform out of them and I, i still definitely need to i guess do more listening and i guess watch the the yang podcast more frequently But I don't know, I think a particular lens that probably him and sort of some of the other tech Silicon Valley and sort of generally left and progressive, you know, asterisk, demon emoji, progressives um, need uh, that is different from the Democratic and the Republican establishment. I think one path that I see would be through like this digital privacy lens, sort of pressing meta, pressing um, like these SEO companies, like. Even, you know, a more uh, a kind of democratically sympathetic issue like you get on John Oliver, kind of doxing like, mm. with, with porn ads, some of the members sitting in, in our legislative Congress that don't really represent our best interests of in digital privacy. I think if we're looking for ways to sort of off ramp. Democrats and Republicans that are already existing in this kind of alternative space within the parties, Mm -hmm. I think allowing them this sort of like consumer protection, privacy, you deserve safety online and we can advocate and fight for that outside of the sort of right left divide as it currently exists, I think, I don't know, it's something that I think could be really promising. The other thing that I was thinking just generally in regards to how third parties spring up, I think about like the every 30 to 40 year kind of evolution of independent parties, whether it's kind of the way independents have evolved in the last 10 years, sort of in the second half of Obama's presidency and forward. I also think sort of of the, the libertarian movement out of the post Reagan era or even like I think in the, the message I sent you, like I kind of thinking like the 1880s, like Whigs to liberal Republicans to modern like 20th century conservative pipeline. So even does like the idea of supporting a forward party um, from that like historical lens of seeing that there's always these kind of moments where even if it doesn't fully um, get national seats that just the creation of like a, a third, um, like like just a third option or like a third sort of political node outside of whatever else is going on um, sort of in the red blue divide that it, it seems to be able to push forward um, particularly like worker and family friendly policies um, and that policies that as a lot of the critique across a lot of the different conversations tonight um, hit much more economic than they do culture war social. So mm-hmm. I don't know, to me, I think if, if I'm looking at a forward party, seriously, I think they need to do something that's really unique on like privacy and really unique on just kind of seeing uh, economic strategies that, that they particularly can provide that the Democrats and Re- Republican party Establishments as they exist sort of have lobby forces that are working against them, um, but I I do think I I do agree with you. There's there's sort of a, a need to be hesitant with throwing money or even just views and attention behind like a, a flashpoint third party moment when we know this year is going to be serious. Twenty twenty four is going to be even more serious, and like we have until twenty thirty to figure out climate, um, and neither of these parties are going to do that for us clearly. So. That's all. I know I was chatting a lot, but so happy to be here.
1: Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, I, you know, I I hear you on that as a particular litmus test. I guess I see that stuff as not so much as a litmus test, but for as issues that the left should just be talking about point blank period. One thing that I'm learning from Rising is that there are a lot of these third rail issues that are like really galvanizing for people. And some of them I think you got to ignore because it's not ethical and I don't agree with them, <laughs> but some of them I think are actually good places where people are upset for legitimate reasons and the left shouldn't see that ground. So I wish that some of this like COVID frustration wasn't channeled toward like weirdly fixating on mass and were channeled more toward some legitimate distrust of big pharma and their exploitation and, you know, some legitimate critiques that have come out about how, which drugs get to make the market and which rules are bent for which circumstances and a lack of transparency about some of the testing and, you know, the, some questions around the, what the CD, whether the CDC's job is to report information or kind of to run cover for an administration. You know, I wish that that was more of a left issue. I think that some of these speech issues are legitimate and we all know that censorship and the like is happening disproportionately to the left, but isn't covered in the same way. Um, I think that some of the, um, uh, I mean, like this is related to the speech, but all of the the BDS pledges and all of that stuff like that should be our issue. And a lot of stuff that we're not characterizing as speech issues could potentially get more traction and respect if we did, you know, some of the stuff about protesting at, Judges' houses and and drawing out some of the hypocrisy on the right.
23: Hello, can can you hear me still? I we, I can't hear you at all. It's yeah yeah Brie. Just like I think it's br- it breaking up like- a little bit.
1: Oh, because I have this window open, guys. If that happens, just tell me immediately. It's just because I forgot to close. I was trying to look in the chat. That's
5: my bad. I thought it may. I thought it may have been just me. <laughs> But, no, uh,
1: I, I just, I was looking for that woman, the last caller's message in the chat and I forgot to close the chat window. If I open it on the, you know, the chat doesn't load on my phone after like 20 minutes, it stops loading. So I have to open it on the web website. And if I open it on the website while I'm talking, it it's choppy for whatever. Yeah, reason. You may so, have to
5: repeat like the last like two minutes or so, I think.
1: Okay. I'm just going to let you guys know I don't have the energy
23: for that. So the <laughs> long do, and I short do. of it,
1: it, you know, like, please just tell me immediately going forward. Uh bad. I
23: thought was so, so
1: sorry. Um, I mean, like, what did you guys think was going to happen? <laughs> like, <laughs> anyway, like, I'm not repeating that. I'm sorry. It is what it is. You can listen. It, it it'll be right when you listen to back to it um, once it posts. Um, but there's a lot of issues on the left uh, that that should be left as issues that we don't touch, including speech issues. But moreover, uh, with respect to forward, I honestly would not care personally if they fight for ballot access and third parties, the only other thing I really need from them is to be financially independent. Like I think that you can't say that you're going to attack the duopoly if you support candidates that take big corporate duopoly money. Like it just doesn't track for me. So I, I agree with you that those are issues that we need to talk about more on the left, but I don't know that I need them specifically from the forward party. All I need is that the candidates be corporate free, but I don't know. What do you guys think?
5: Yeah, I remember you asked me about the 4 party before I got cut off last time. Um and as much as I want to destroy the two party Duopoly, do we really need another party that is a Zionist, pro police, capitalist party? Like what what's the what's exactly supposed there's no big change here. Like we're we gonna do something as basically a third party. We need to really challenge power. And they they have some good economic beliefs, but uh, I think our, our our society is so violent. Uh, there's so many violent uh, parts of our government that we have to scale back. Uh, they're not addressing it. And a lot of what the foreign party and a lot of these right-wing libertarians, what they will say, they'll say, we are against uh, the race war. We're against the culture war. We're against these social issues. But what they don't understand, when you're a Zionist, when you side with Israel, like Andrew Yang, that's you taking a position on that very important c- cultural war issue that you claim you are not fighting mm-hmm. there's no avoiding that like yeah. if you're fu- for funding our white supremacist police system what you you are you are taking a side, and that's what's frustrating to me with these right wing populists. where they're like well i'm I'm above the culture war no a lot of times by neutrality and by mm-hmm. taking a side of the police state, you are picking your side in the culture war you' are picking the establishment over the black and brown people who are criticizing it. And that's the problem with the four party. If we need, if we're gonna have a third party, we need someone to actually challenge the empire (laughs) in the prison industrial complex. How are you gonna run a third party and literally agree with the establishment? To me, economics is is important, but with how crazy our US empire is, if you're not tackling that, I'm just personally not interested because that's just a sign you're gonna fold on other things to me. Um, If any can chime in, I'm done. Yeah.
6: Yeah, um, I would really just say, like, the forward party, um, it's a no for me, um, as long as everything that Nick just said, as long as all of that stuff is still true, it's a no for me, because um, that does not challenge the power of this country, that does not change my life in any real fundamental way, that does not change the uh, state of my community and the safe, the sustainable safety of my community in any way, so, you know, if we're going to do a third party, or, you know, I mean, I, I honestly hate saying third party. Like, I, I believe there should be multiple parties in this country. I think that even to have just, I think have even having three parties would not cover it all. We need, I feel like there needs to be like five or six. But uh, an alternative party that is left-leaning, um, there, there have to be certain things that are non-negotiables. Anti-racism, anti-imperialism, anti-capitalism have to be in the top three. Of those things. Um, Just be careful. Yeah, well,
1: for me, that's what the corporate money is about. Like, if you're not taking money from Israel, unless you're just like a pain pig or an ideologue, like, why are you taking these, you know, hardcore Zionist stance? If you're not taking money from corporations, why are you just a shill for capitalism for shits and giggles? Like, to me, that's a catch all for a lot of that. I'm not saying it's like a perfect it's a perfect proxy because there are candidates that I guess don't take corporate money and also don't identify as anti-capitalist or what have you. But for me, if we're trying, if the idea is it's a big, it's a big, it's a, it's a big tent organization that is supposed to foster this idea of genuinely uncaptured populism. Then I, like, I appreciate that effort and I appreciate like their ability to like get traction on something that other party, third party efforts have been struggling with. And I would have enormously, much less skepticism and would be very, I think, vocally supportive if they could just cross that one off the list because it touches so many of those
23: points. I fully hear that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, no, and then I I also, uh, if any, she just popped out. Did we lose her? What happened? I think so. But I for sure agree with her on just in general, the pluralist desire. But I, I do also hear that like, Right. It's the fact that we see that we need more than just two or three or four parties that sort of gets into this whole. Well, do we even go with electoralist strategies in the first place? So I don't want to I, I do also don't want to completely give up on electoralism, but I do. That's completely real, like going this sort of traditional third party route, but with candidates and a platform and money that is clearly still very and very establishment is sort of uh, just another potential distraction for the left. So thank you for that. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Michael. That was a great note to end on. Uh, Afina got kicked off by accident, but she's back. I want to thank everybody for tuning in tonight. It's been a long slog. We did three hours on this and an hour on YouTube. I would have stopped an hour earlier on this, but we had two guests and I wanted to give everybody space to talk. Um, Nick, Afina, can you tell people briefly where to find you? And uh, I will also say before you say that, that remember that you guys can and should clip parts of this episode that you think other people should hear and push them to social media. You can download the clips as an audiogram. So it's like visually interesting and more likely to be listened to. And if you tag me, I will retweet it and or repost it to IG. Nick, Afeni, take it away. Where can people find
6: you in your amazing work?
5: Afeni, you want to go first?
6: Yeah. Um, so you can follow me literally anywhere uh at red with two Ds is Ari. Um and uh yeah, I would just really wanna finish off by saying, you know, I know a lot of people feel adverse to the whole electoral politics thing, but you know, me personally, I'm gonna just say that I'm very proud of the candidate that I work for and you know, I completely stand on my decision and I think that, you know, there's a certain amount of harm reduction that has to be done through electoral politics. I don't I'm not saying we should throw all of our money into the Democratic Party. I think that's kind of a, I think that's a waste of time. But, you know, we shouldn't relinquish whatever itty bitty little bit of power we do have in this country. Um, And that means using electoral politics as one of the many tools that we have in our arsenal to grab power back for ourselves. Um, But, yeah, thank you guys so much. And thanks, Bree. Thank you
1: always. I appreciate you, Nick.
5: Yeah, this was uh, a fun conversation. As always, Uh, you guys can check me on, check me out on revolutionary blackout. Most know me as social system. on Twitter, Uh, make sure you guys uh, subscribe and follow my call in show. We have about five episodes. We just started. So if you guys want to help us get started building our platform on calling, I we appreciate it. Revolutionary discourse. Uh, next episode is 12 p.m. Eastern tomorrow. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Joe Biden's horrific approval numbers, and I would love to get a lot of different opinions on that. So that's the to show tomorrow, 12 p.m. Eastern. So thank you for me on, Brie. Always
10: fun. Please,
1: yes, please. And please, guys, do go and subscribe to his show so that you get notifications when there are new shows. Do that for all of the leftists that you follow on Colin, look, there is a left takeover of Colin afoot. I'm just going to say it. People were skeptical of this app. You know, they thought what they were going to think. And, you know, a lot of the character of these apps, they're all owned by billionaires. That is what it is. But, you know, the left has really, I think own this app. I am very proud to have the highest rated show (laughs) on Colin and you guys make that possible. (laughs) Like I see there's still 500 of you hanging out here. It's close to midnight. My stupid behind has to wake up early for rising. I don't know why I do this to myself. Yes, I do. It's because I really enjoy talking to you and I value these conversations. So please do follow Nick. I listen to his show all the time. I watch, I subscribe to RBN on YouTube and I learn a lot and I feel like it's one of the more authentic articulations of how a lot of people are feeling. And I'm very appreciative of all the work that goes on over there. Um, Keep the faith, take care of yourselves. I am going to in the mood of Tucker Carlson play us out to it's too late to apologize. (laughs) Sorry, not sorry. Good night guys.
9: Say